Hi, and welcome to the Capsule 21 podcast. This is episode two. It is called, Is the Future of On-Chain NFTs Off-Chain? In this episode, we are going to be asking the question, are on-chain NFTs dead and are off-chain NFTs better? And this is not a joke. It's not a troll. This is coming from some of the biggest on-chain aficionados, the biggest on-chain maxis you're ever going to find, which is basically the uh, Capsule 21 Artist Collective. So that's me. Dove and Piv, we are all about timeless art, and in particular, timeless art uh, through the blockchain, through the blockchain in terms of on-chain art. And so if we're saying on-chain is dead, uh, you know it's dead. This is episode two of the Castle 21 podcast. Uh, this is a weekly podcast about technology, art, and particularly uh, how to uh, appreciate, create, uh, buy, and celebrate uh, the timeless kind of, of art. So welcome. Welcome, everyone. So in brief, here's the idea uh, behind this episode. So you know, first, what is on-chain art? Okay, if you're listening to this for the first time, you're out there and you think you even know, it's always good to kind of really drill into the basic concepts. What is it? Well, of course, on-chain art refers to on-blockchain art. And so what is the blockchain? Okay, we're going very basic right now. It's important. It's the week of the merge. Let's go back to the basics of the blockchain just for a quick second. So what is the blockchain? So even more basic, you have to go back and say, what is decentralization, okay? Because that's the idea behind all of this stuff. And decentralization is this idea that, you know, you, you can't stop an idea or a piece of art or, you know, a piece of content, an MP3, a movie, you can't stop the decimation, dissemination of this, of this art by um, any single uh, point of failure. You can't just stop one person, stop it everywhere. And so early uh, decentralization technologies, stuff like Bit, Bit, BitTorrent, uh, Napster before that. So basically there were these things where if one person has the file, everyone has the file. And um, why didn't we stop there? Like, that's a pretty good way to distribute art, right? If you have a picture and you don't want it to be censored, uh, you can give it to 100 people and they have to censor every single hundred, one of the hundred or every single thousand people to censor the art. So that's pretty good. That's way better than just, you know, putting it on Amazon servers and Amazon gets one phone call uh, um, and deletes it. So the problem though, with this version of decentralization was that there was uh, no, and this is where the blockchain comes in, no consensus. So if you wanted to see okay, here is, you know, a list of all of the BitTorrents in the world, or here's a list of art that you've done, or here's a list of art in this series that you've done. You know, you can't do that. And um, of course, Pirate Bay famously always playing the, the game of cat and mouse, because if you're trying to list all the BitTorrents, hard to do that decentralized way. And so the blockchain idea was basically, okay, how can we have decentralization? And how can we have consensus? How can we have an agreement on, you know, what a list of things says? You know, it's like, we're both talking the same list. You know, BitTorrent, I can have my list that says I'm a billionaire. You can have your list that says I'm broke. Uh, they can both exist. They contradict. That's fine. The blockchain basically says I'm either a billionaire or broke, and we all agree on it. And so the consensus mechanism is the core of the blockchain idea in terms of getting over this hump. And we just changed that this week. There was an old consensus mechanism, which was basically about solving math problems. That was proof of work. And we changed consensus mechanisms. But you, you can't do that, actually, because the whole point of a consensus mechanism, it's a very specific and technical thing. Uh, that governs how consensus is formed. You can't uh, uh, change that, um, you know, while it is happening. You have to move to a different blockchain. So it's a pretty momentous week, but the consensus mechanism is also a pretty magical thing just in general that a bunch of people could agree on how much money everyone has and um, not fight over it or not cheat. 
So then we get to why the blockchain is cool for, for art, because more than just talking about money, Ethereum has this sort of internal state where, you know, it's not just like this list of, you know, who has what that you can observe from the outside. Uh, transactions in, within Ethereum can refer to the state of Ethereum uh, itself. And so, you know, unlike Bitcoin, which is more so like a spreadsheet, you know, Ethereum is a computer that can have a million spreadsheets in it, unlimited spreadsheets in it, unlimited data storage. So Ethereum is this computer. You can store stuff in Ethereum. You can do computation in Ethereum. And not only can no one stop you, uh, but everyone else has to bring you along. Everyone else has to form a consensus that includes you being around. So there are these two really nice properties of blockchains when it comes to art, which is they're decentralized, but also there's this permanence aspect. You don't have to pay twice. You don't have to pay every month to keep your data on the blockchain. You don't have to uh, worry about it because everyone else has to worry about it. Actually, if you put your content on there, everyone else has to worry about keeping it. Otherwise, they can't do anything uh, with it. So if someone in a far off land wants to send a billion dollars of cash to someone else, they have to uh, acknowledge and bring forward uh, your little pixel art, which is kind of a cute and, and, and powerful uh, thing. And it's an amazing idea, actually. And so when it comes to on-chain art, this is really... Uh, the uh, ideal where uh, instead of having to um, worry, <laughs> you know, about what's going to happen with your art, uh, especially censorship, you don't have to worry and you are protected by the overall usage of the system. You're protected by people you don't know, people you don't like, uh, people who hate you. They have to preserve your art. Otherwise, they cannot use the entire uh, thing. There's no way to change the, uh, uh, the history without breaking it. So this is this great thing. And so timeless art is art that is artistically good, but also can last. And so uh, how does it last to the blockchain? Well, you can always go to the blockchain and get the picture out. So if you go to, you know, the new Caps 21 project from a week ago, Dovetails Youngs, this is a, uh, an on-chain transformation of the CryptoPunks, basically taking iconic CryptoPunks, the little, you know, they have the, uh, the alien ones and everything, the CryptoPunks, you can sort of um, play with these. And uh, Youngs is an on-chain transformation that, that basically takes the colors of the CryptoPunks and shifts them. And this color shift happens in a way that when you go to uh, uh, view one of these things, you can uh, get the entire content of each uh, image uh, uh, without actually uh, using a um, you know, web browser to download an image. You just go to, to you know, go Etherscan, use any client to, to get this right from the blockchain. And CryptoPunks are a great example of this, actually, because all of the CryptoPunk data is on chain. And that means you can do unlimited derivative works of the CryptoPunks, as we have done here. And each one of those derivative works is pretty easy to keep on chain because you have the data uh, already available. So this is the idea, and it's very cool. And about eight months ago, uh, you know, and I think a year ago even, you know, this was one of the most seductive ideas going on in, in uh, you know, crypto stuff in Ethereum and blockchain. But I think some of the, uh, the sheen has come off. And what, I'm, uh, what I mean by that is it's a little bit of, in the end, a little bit of a, uh, a LARP. And what I mean by a LARP is it is something that you can describe as being about permanence and being about timeless art. But if you actually carry that thought through, what you will find is it is actually not quite, doesn't actually quite work, right? And the reason it doesn't quite work is because even if there is data that is being stored uh, on the blockchain, there still needs to be a, an instruction about what to do with that data to show a picture uh, to the user, right? And so if you are using something like a, a PNG on a, on a server, right, and, and, and then viewing this, uh, this PNG, that, that, that set of instructions 
uh, is actually pretty simple. You know, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of software, uh, you know, a lot of programs that can show you a PNG. And this is why if you are on a phone, it's easy to look at a PNG. If you are on a slow phone, it's even easy to look at a PNG. PNG has been around for a long, 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 long time. So on iOS photo apps, it works. In, uh, the, you know, in Twitter, in every other app, it works. PNGs really work. But a lot of the time when you look at SVGs, they are not like uh, doing as much uh, work to make it as easy as a PNG makes it. So generating a PNG, storing a PNG is much more expensive, much more in terms of uh, computation and, and, and space. The blockchain's about being cheap. So the blockchain, you kind of offload a lot of this stuff to the user and you do it with a technology that's called SVG. And when you have an SVG, SVG stands for Scalable, scalable Vector Graphics. The initial idea behind SVG was kind of what it says. You have vector and scalable, which means, you know, a vector is kind of like instead of, you know, laying out every pixel of a photograph, you sort of describe what's in the image by saying there's a circle here, there's a rectangle here. And through these descriptions, you can create something that is a lot more scalable because making a photo bigger, that's pretty much very hard to do because you have to know what a person looks like bigger. But making a rectangle bigger is just a math problem. So scalable vector graphics was this idea. But then over time... SVG gathered more and more and more capabilities. And now it's a very hard thing to do to display the SVG. So essentially you have this issue where you're optimizing, you're optimizing storage, you're optimizing computation, you're making it work on the blockchain. And yes, amazing, I'm spitting out something that is um, on chain and I did it. I optimized it, I made it work on chain. It's not a ton of money and I'm spitting this thing out. But now you're asking the user to take this thing you spit out and really fight fight to display it in a good way. And you're asking the user to try to put it in the Twitter hex, which they cannot do. So, you know, Twitter has this feature where you can put an NFT in a hex as your profile picture. You can't do that with an SVG. Whose problem is that, right? I used to think that was Twitter's problem. Now I'm kind of opening my eyes. Maybe that's actually uh, my uh, problem. You can't view it in a bunch of other uh, iOS uh, apps. And even in a web browser, you're gonna end up with some inconsistencies. So on Yunk, for example, and this is kind of an artistic element too, there's a noise filter, which is a native SVG uh, uh, you know, element, which you can add a, a distortion or noise or turbulence to an image. And it turns out when you do this, it looks different on different browsers. There's no actual way to uh, display this. So if you want to get like a great image of Yunks, like you know, on your wall or on a piece of paper, good luck doing that. So essentially we have come to this situation where we are being so literal with on-chain art. We're saying, hey, the, the image, the data file of the image uh, is on chain. That's great. But we lose the fact that to actually display something, you need data plus something to do with that data. And what we're asking people to do is use a full web browser and a full powered computer to display uh, SVG uh, information. And um, good luck putting a web browser on chain. That's a huge program. It's really hard to run. It's really hard to run uh, overall. Web browsers are some of the most complicated software you can find, especially an operating system. And it's extremely difficult to run uh, embedded. It's extremely difficult to have a page that has five different web pages in it in a little little squares each. Very, very hard to do. And so is this really timeless art if you uh, can't actually display it, even though you can do it, but it's really hard? Is it is it timeless art to you know put in the user's hand, hey, you make this timeless, uh, user? Uh, this is my question. So uh, I've got a couple other ideas here, but pausing for uh, a moment. Um, let me start with you, Dove. I was calling out, um, I was calling out Youngs a couple of times, and in fact, you said you've been talking about this a lot. Is 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 this? Does this? Um, what do you feel? Just about the rendering capability. Yeah, I mean, you know, the practical thing that you went through with 
youngs and philosophically speaking, like how do you even like, you know, take a screenshot, but also is this struggle, this struggle to uh, jump over this technical bar and the technical bar being, I've given you something from the blockchain that makes it possible in principle to show something. Is that really on chain? You know, no matter how hard it is you know, to display it, like imagine if your artistic vision were the version of Young's that Safari shows, which I think kind of it was, right? Now, you are basically putting something on chain. But you're telling people, hey, great news. It's on chain. Just get Safari. Just buy an expensive Mac, get Safari, and you can view my art. It's on chain. It lasts forever. Like, isn't this kind of ridiculous? Yeah, it is kind of ridiculous. I think <clears throat> I, m I might even go so far as to say that I regret Yonks being on chain. Uh, I think that we've achieved something that's very good and cool. I think it's very good to do things that are firsts. And I think it's very novel that we were able to use FE Turbulence and FE Blend to like achieve the effect that we did. Um, you know, the grass is always greener. I, I kind of wish people were able to right click and save it and have it look the way that I envisioned it looking when I was like creating the, the images. Right. Um, and that, and that's kind of disappointing. Although, you know, is that my fault or does Twitter just need to like provide better support? Does Safari need to provide better support? Like maybe that's the answer, but I, I think maybe that's a stubborn way of thinking about it. It's hard. It's hard to say really. Um, if you want your yunk to look the best, you should right click and save it from OpenSea and then bring it into Photoshop and apply a noise filter, Gaussian, uh, non-monochromatic at 5%, and then export that as a PNG. And that's the way that I wanted them to, to look. Um, but obviously you can't, you can't do that. And there's, there's, uh, there's trade-offs that have to be made, and that's, that's all fine and good. Um, I'm happy with the final product, but, you know... There's drawbacks, pros and cons to both. I know a lot of people are very happy and, and bought Young specifically because they are on chain and because they liked the the fancy stuff that we did with the, uh, the SVG layering. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree. Uh, I agree with that and I agree with the grass being greener and I'm, I'm trying to, next time around, I'm not going to make this mistake. I want a best of both worlds solution because going pure off chain, like it's not like, you know, I was an idiot. We were idiots. <laughs> we were thinking about on chain. Like, let's just, you know, that's kind of shocking, too, in a way to say, hey, you know, it's really uh, just this flat image at this resolution. You get this. You get no information uh, about, you know, the process, the artistic intent here. Uh, you know, the beauty of the, the SVG approach is you can kind of walk through uh, the thinking and you can actually copy it and, you know, remix it and whatever. And it's just it's a lot cooler, but it just doesn't actually look good <laughs> because, I mean, it does look good if you do it right, but it's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to do, but right? I, so, I think it's it's interesting that there's not not just one image too. I think that's that's an interesting aspect. I I know that Dove mentioned earlier that for some artworks you really have the the description how it has to look. There's not really the artwork itself, but just the description. The description. So the this it is also part of an art artwork or it can be part of it that you describe like he just just did what it should be yeah i agree um it, it it like asks an interesting question about how would you display it you know we have the the capsule 21 um space inside of on cyber and we've previously displayed capsule 21 works inside of uh soves um 
his on cyberspace. So how would how would you display a yunk, and what's the proper size to render it at, and uh, and all of these things? It's it's an interesting question. You know, the the thing that I released um, probably like a month or two ago now was my collection called Moon Lake, which is purposefully very aleatoric and difficult to view in the proper way but i did that kind of on purpose and here it's a little less on purpose but maybe it's still on brand because it's something i've experimented with in the past mm-hmm. well Dub, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as on person right okay just you don't know what you were thinking like come on i i consider it to all be on on purpose for a purpose but anyway sorry i think i interrupted you Viv. no 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 so yeah i think it is look i what i'm trying to say here is uh, if you abandon being an on-chain purist, uh, you are going to open your eyes to what's really going on here and get a best of both worlds thing. Because I think there really is two things here, right? There is something called art, right? And art is mysterious. And what is it even? It's the banana on the wall. And like, who knows what art is, right? And it's different all the time. And there's another thing called a photograph of art. Right, a photograph of art. You know, there have been the duct tape banana on the wall. People have, I believe, taken photos of this. A lot of them. Photo. At some point, you have to take a quote-unquote photo, or in Cyberland, it's called a screenshot. You take a screenshot and you show something. On Cyber does something. Uh, we actually, in very few circumstances, even can experience true art. We have to experience photographs because you know you can't be there with the banana. You know what I mean? You 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 can't actually put. Uh, you know, on cyber does not support animated SVGs or whatever our thing is even different. So how can you, and on Twitter, okay, Twitter is a photograph of art. It's a screenshot of art on Twitter, period, end of sentence. I'm done uh, complaining about Twitter. It's not going to be art. It's going to be a photograph of art. And so the problem is you either get just photograph if you are an off-chain maxi and you're just, you know, hyper rational and short-term thinking and you know, probably, you know, it's good too, but just that's just the photograph. And then with Yunks, you get just the art. And the art is better, but it's like, oh, gosh, more art. Oh, my God, it's so annoying. So that's the tension. How do you get a photograph of art and art in the same thing? And I would say that a photograph of art, uh, they made a great format for this. It's called a PNG. And if you can't get a PNG in a smart contract because it costs too much to store, then sorry, some photos deserve to be stored off chain. In fact, most of the photos on my phone are stored uh, off chain, and um, that's fine because maybe there's a you know you store the the thing that's the you know the quote unquote master copy, and then you take a photograph of it. But what do you think? So you oh. have a photo and then the art. Wow, sorry, I'm going to go on a, a very quick tangent. Apple has the proprietary .heic file format, which is like a super compressed JPEG, basically, and only renders correctly on on Apple phones. I wonder if you could make an NFT that was a .dot .heic, and then you could only look at it on the iPhone. I think that's an amazing example. Uh, exactly, that's exactly my point. I think that is such a cursed file format. Now it actually does something. I've Googled this extensively. Like, do I want to turn this off? And it's like live photos. And I like live photos, so you you have to deal with innovation. But just like, you know, that's exactly my point. It's like, do you want to go through life and you're thinking, ah, a photo? And no, it's like, actually, really, it's like complicated art thing. You have to know something about that's that's special. Like, there's something like nice about just a photo. And, and what's great about PNG, right, is it's, you know, you get the 24-bit color depth and you get lossless. So 
you know, that's an amazing file format as far as I'm concerned and everyone can view it. But yeah, I think HEIC is cursed. Like, I don't know how to do anything with it. And I agree that it would be a, um, I think the, I, the, the 14 has like some other camera raw thing or whatever. That's, um, but yeah, that's insane. So are you doxing yourself as a, as an iPhone user dove? Yeah, I've been fully Apple ecosystem for like two years now. It's an amazing ecosystem. Pib, what do you use? Let me dox you. Um, everything combined. I love it. I love it. Although, yeah, if, you, you, if you're an Apple user, use the clap emoji. And if you're a Windows and Android user, use the peace emoji. The cloud? <laughs> the cloud? The clap. If you so cl- clap for Apple, peace for Android Windows. Let's see it, y'all. Let's see it. Don't <laughs> worry if you're nervous about which to do. You can do either, and the algorithm will not check to see what phone you actually have. It doesn't matter what you do right now. Just remember that the algorithm is not going to pull up to your house and say, yeah. uh, "Excuse me, uh, do you actually have the phone corresponding to the emoji?" That you, it's like that doesn't happen. I've never heard of it happening. I don't really worry about that kind of thing. So. Uh, so yeah, whose problem is it and what's the solution? And, um, and also just one last thing I'd say is like, this is a very deep thing about computer science. Like you kind of want to be careful with this stuff. Cause you might end up like touching on some important topic, computer science. And so in computer science, there's basically this idea that code and data are the same thing. There's no way to distinguish in principle code and, and, and data. And this was a foundational result in computer science by Turing. And the result was basically this idea that you know, you, you can have a pocket calculator, right? And that calculates and, you know, you can program your fridge maybe like, do you need a, a custom device for every uh, thing you want to do? Or is there a way to transfer one device into another? Like, can you package up the code from one device and use it as data and feed it into another device, right? Like this is kind of an incredible idea. Like he proved that there was this thing called a universal Turing machine, which is basically a computer and you could not have to program everything into it. You could feed other code into it as data. You could have a function, a computer program that took as one argument, as one parameter, the, the, the code to run, and as the other parameter, the actual, the actual data. So this is not at all obvious when you look at this, but it's the same thing. And so when you look at SVG, it's like, okay, we are going light on data, right? We're storing very little data on the blockchain, but we're actually, wink, wink, requiring a ton of code that doesn't exist on the blockchain you have to bring to it, a browser. So it's like, Light on data, heavy on code, it's, it's the same thing. That's same as being heavy on data. So, you know, you can't afford to be heavy on data. You're not doing it right, everything. So uh, I've got an idea of how to fix this. And, um, but first, let me, let me just open it up. I mean, I don't know if Rob's interested in, in, in chatting, no pressure, but um, I know he has some interesting POVs on this. Uh, does anyone out there want to make any quick comments? This is going to be a podcast later, so... It uh, could be very good for your personal brand. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, this I mean, is, if you want to be famous in 10 years, you have to be on the second ever Capsule 21 podcast as a guest. And then people in the history books will go, whoa, you were on the second episode of the Capsule 21 that's amazing. <laughs> on the yeah, day of the merge. Yeah, on the day of the merge. Are you Holy crap. This is your chance, Anon. You know how people say, like, Anon. This is your chance, Anon. 
You know what? It's so good to me because people are just like, oh my God, amazing. The merge was such a success. It's like, bro, it's been less than 24 hours. How are you calling this a success? Like, I hope it's a success. People just going along with it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm a merge fan. I just, I'm nervous about it. And, um, okay. So yeah, what's, what's the solution? What, what is the actual future of on-chain art? And how do we get, and what's, how do we solve all these problems? And, and why are we doing this finally in the best way possible with this new uh, spinning punk project? So step one is eliminate SVGs. I am done with SVGs. I think SVGs are an insane tweener file format that uh, are very misleading. And what makes them extremely misleading is that they, um, they um, have this, this, this feature where you, know, you, you, you think they should be easy to display, but they're actually impossible to display. They're so hard to display, uh, you need a web browser. And the reason for this is that you can actually put anything you want in an SVG. You can put a whole HTML page in an SVG, right? You can put a whole anything in there, YouTube video, an image, so much for scalable vector graphics, right? You can literally put a photo in there. It's like SVG doesn't make sense. It's misleading. Let's get rid of SVG, okay? And let's go in two directions at once. We go, you know, two directions at once. One direction is we lean into PNG, the best file format ever, basically. Don't at me. And then when we're trying to do something complicated, we just be honest about it. We be honest about it. And we say, look, this is HTML. Okay. This is not SVG. SVG doesn't exist anymore. There's no way you can just say, Hey, can I open this in Inkscape anymore? Like, good luck. Even if you can open an SVG in Inkscape, which Inkscape can open, you know, the simpler ones with the rectangles and stuff, you can't know that it's the right thing because there might be other stuff in there. Inkscape can't display. So the capabilities of SVG, even if you think people are using the simpler parts and restricting their usage to the easier to render, the fact that it has these capabilities means you're done. You cannot ever like render something simply. You have to be web browsers. So we say, okay, it's just HTML. Now the nice part about HTML is it's got like a thousand times more people hammering on it every day and doing stuff with it than, than SVG. SVG is niche and is niche for a reason. HTML is massive. And HTML is, is something that is uh, strictly speaking with an FV, SVG, you can do anything, but HTML makes it a lot easier because HTML is designed to do anything. And um, when you're doing something with HTML, you can, uh, yeah, you can have JavaScript, you just, you, you, tremendous control, and you have tremendous control when it comes to what's called the viewport. The viewport is the browser window. So that's the fundamentally the issue here, I think, that you are doing when you are doing something with programmatic SVG HTML. You are optimizing something for the browser window, and then the user is going to take a screenshot of that as a PNG. So these are the two, uh, you know, avenues for art. You have the art itself, which is something that appears visible through a browser viewport, through a browser window that has some width and height to it and maybe can scroll or whatever. That's the art through the web browser. And then you take a screenshot of that and that's the photograph of the art and that's the PNG. And so when you're designing something for a viewport, you have to think about, okay, uh, you know, where, what is the margin and padding of all these things? How do I position things? What happens if the viewport changes, right? Because most of the time for a web browser, uh, you don't get control over the viewport. You have to uh, respond to the viewport. So for example, a web page, right, can start off as a square and the user can resize the viewport. And so like, if you're looking at a piece of art, uh, you might squint your eye, you may move, you know, it's like it's not a perfect analogy, but you have to uh, uh, think about the viewport as the creator of, um, uh, uh, you know, conceptual on-chain art, not just think, oh, I'm do doing an image. You're not doing an image. You're doing a web page, do a viewport. And then 
once you have the viewport really ironed out, now you really make it easy actually for someone to take a screenshot because they know exactly what to do. With an SVG, you don't know what to do. It's sitting there on a page somewhere. Uh, if, you, if you open the SVG in a web browser, uh, maybe it's going to display it too big or too small. No, you, you, you design a, an HTML page that explains the content exactly how you want it. Now the user can take a screenshot. And there are a bunch of ways to take screenshots of HTML pages. You know, there's ways in Chrome DevTools, there's Chrome extensions, there's, uh, you know, uh, most notably uh, command line tools. You know, there are all these uh, ways to take screenshots. This is a well-understood problem. Now we can start taking pictures. And the beautiful part about this is that there's actually an affordance for this, which, uh, you know, big, bad, open sea, you know, we hate them, except they're like pretty good. So they came up with this idea of animation URL. And animation URL is a property of a token. It's on token URI, just like image and image data and all that stuff. It's supposed to be a link to a web page that you can see the thing animated in, and that's cool, but you can actually use it as anything you want. You can use it as a uh, web page that shows anything, and it can even be an on-chain web page. It doesn't have to be a link. It can be a data URI, which is just like the data itself. So you can just show a web page. And so what you can do with this now is I, I would propose using this as the central mode, because when you use this, you are telling people how to take a picture of it. And it will now allow you in the image slot to use the picture, to put the PNG. So, the H so no SVG, HTML goes in animation URL, PNG link off chain goes in uh, image. And the way you generate the PNG image is you go and take screenshots of your uh, HTML. And that's what I'm actually doing now with this uh, uh, spinning punk project. So I created the HTML pages and now I wrote a program that basically goes through all 10,000, takes about two hours and loads up each HTML page, takes a screenshot uh, and saves it. And in fact, there's some JavaScript that gets the sizing right. So there's some complexity here, but uh, that is how it uh, should work. And so now you can put these things off chain. It doesn't matter if you lose these things, anyone can always take a picture. You have the art. This is the picture of the art. It's much more, uh, uh, much more disposable. And finally, the benefit of this is that uh, you, um, OpenSea is smart enough to put the HTML version on the asset page when there's one page, looking at one token, you see the HTML page, the, the, the art, you're looking at the art. On the collection page, you see the photo of the art. And this is actually really, really, really important for the reason I was talking about earlier, which is you don't wanna put 10 SVGs on the same page. You wanna put 20 SVGs on the same page. It does not work. There's no way to guarantee that will work. And in fact, with this project, because each SVG has 360 punks in it, it crashes the browser. So imagine this. On chain, it's so great. You do something on chain, it's valid, it's beautiful. You put it on OpenSea, it crashes. Whose problem is that? Really, that's OpenSea's problem? I think that's, that's your problem. So don't tempt fate by creating a situation where you have a ton of SVGs on the same page. Uh, it will crash. Uh, on chain, Marilyn Diptychs, PIB in my earlier project, uh, crashes sometimes, you know? So uh, HTML page, that's the art. It goes on the, the individual token page. Off-chain image data, you take the picture, it doesn't matter, you can reduplicate it at any point, uh, that goes on the uh, collection page, and this, and then SVG is never used again. This is the future of on-chain art, according to me right now. What do you think, Dove? What do you think, Biv? Let's do it. Let's get PNGs on-chain. Let's spend the money. No, I'm saying the PNGs can be off-chain. This is my point. No, 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 but we got to get them on chain. We got to spend, how much Ethereum is it to put like a PNG, like a 1,000 by a 1,000 PNG? I, I mean, think you mean how much Ether is it to do that? Because Ethereum is the block. 
Okay, yeah, I think it's, you know, what is it like, um, you know, five grand a megabyte or something? You know, I think it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, you yeah. know, I'm going to spend the price of a Lamborghini in order to get a high, high resolution photograph on chain. Yeah, I think the key is to put the thing on chain that you take the picture of and then take the picture of it. And, you know, like, here's the other thing, like, here'd be my standard too, is like, look, like, oh, there's an image and it's lost because it's off chain. Guess what? Ignore that in the metadata and just take your own screenshot. Like, here is a real way to, 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 to do it. You know, with an, with an SVG, yes, you can take a screenshot of it. But in my experience, uh, thinking about this, doing this for like one day, in my experience, and just thinking about it, you don't want to take a screenshot of an SVG. It doesn't exist. You need to put an SVG in an HTML page and you need to make sure that looks perfect and then there might be javascript that you need to do to get the sizing right so so yeah this is my yeah. uh no I, I agree pngs are far superior and that's why the entire internet uses them instead of uh svg svg uh you know as a graphic designer <clears throat> very useful i love svg because it lets me make things very big without making them blurry which is cool i love svg for that um but in a lot of cases, I would say in ninety-five percent of cases, you just you just want a PNG, and that's the one major drawback of on-chain. Everything should be on-chain except for this one crucial fatal flaw. This can you have both? So so just I invited Michael up here. Let me give him a little uh, preface here and uh, tell him uh, you know give him the flowers. <laughs> I love that phrase. So Michael created Mandelable Labs, which is a uh, transformative product for putting art on chain, creating on chain collections, and um, he's launched a bunch of successful projects. But before he did that, he had a very cool successful project of his own called On Chain Kevin. Uh, I'm an On Chain Kevin whale. It's basically a reference to the uh, Pixel Mons Kevin meta. Remember that the, the space moves fast, but it was a meme for a time. On Chain Kevin actually did uh, the thing. Then I'll get to you. I, I, I see you, Yoke. Uh, on-chain Kevin actually did a version of what I'm saying, which is they uh, had a way to generate the SVG on the function, on the, on the contract, but had the main uh, thing be, um, uh, the main image be, be uh, PNG that was generated by their, their API. And I had, you know, for a while mixed feelings about this. And I often was like thinking, well, you know, the, the hex means it's not on chain. So that's like a negative thing. And I'm a nerd and I like nerds, but now I'm thinking maybe I don't like, nerds as much as I as I thought. So you were ahead of your time, Michael, or were you? What's up? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I If I had to do it all over again, uh, I'd probably do something similar to what we're doing now feature-wise with the contracts that get released on Indelible Labs, which is... Uh, provide the ability to do both where you can have it um, be uh, you know the token that you see be on chain or off chain um, but I, I hear I hear what you're saying um, I you know it's tricky to make that main one a PNG uh, with a generative um a generative collection, which is why it's, you know, with, with, uh, SVGs, it's like really easy because you can just layer them or even doing something like 
what you were saying, Middle March, with uh, HTML, but obviously HTML wouldn't render on the collection view. Um, it would just render on that tokens view, the tokens page, right? Right. So, so yeah, um, I guess, you know, but, I, yeah. But with, uh, you know, yeah, I think that, uh, I think it's tricky because I think people want that uh, main um, standard, which is the uh, image uh, data, or is it just image um, in the metadata? I don't know that the the the, uh, the the iconically on chain one is the image data is, is image data. I think you could probably use either, but yeah, I think yeah, you can use either, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's tricky, but I think the the main point or the the main goal would be uh, to to truly qualify as on chain uh, is just that the data exists on chain and can be ex you know accessible uh, at any time in the future, whether it's um, you know the image that you see or something that you can call on the contract. So that's my thought. So let me ask this question. So, so and then I'll get to you, Yo, because I want to hear what, what you have to say, but just to follow up on that. So right now there's a feature, as I understand it, right? An indelible contracts where you can, as the owner of a token, I wonder if actually that's clear is when you transfer the token. As an owner of a token, you can say, show me uh, the SVG when I, um, when you call a token URI or show me instead this, uh, you know, the PNG, which is, I guess, cached by Double Labs uh, server. And, um, you know, this is the choice. And, you know, just this is the classic question. If you have the choice, right, what is the default? Because most people aren't going to change. And I think in your case, the default is the SVG version. And that means you're an on-chain maxi. Is that right? Yeah, that is the default. And then if you want, as the holder, you can go and have it render your token specifically um, using our API. And that can toggle at any time so that if, you know, our, you know, if our uh, organization over here, you know, doesn't survive 10 years, you're, you can always, you know, switch it back to on-chain and then you're good. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. It's good to have that. You know, redundancy. In the case of the project that Pip and I are doing now, it's literally not possible to do the SVG because it crashes OpenSea. So that's kind of changed my my opening. But anyway, Yoke, Yoke, what's going on? You have your hand up. How's life? Yolk. Got the sus egg. Got the mongus <laughs> sus egg PSP. What's up, Yolk? <laughs> Sorry, I was like just riding my scooter but um i've been listening this whole time and um yeah i actually have some like maybe we could do a little bit of um socratic but my idea was to ask a few questions and like see what you guys thoughts were because i have a hypothesis that sort of lines up with this um so i think the minimum you can get away with like calling something on chain is the checksum of the data. And that could be enough. If you have enough computers given enough time, you could solve for that quote unquote hashing function if there's like truly no overlap. 
with that data. That's um, funny. I think that's that's a, or, sorry. So, I I think that's that's a really interesting, um, uh, right? So if you have the hash, if you have the hash, a hash is like a fingerprint of a file, and so a fingerprint doesn't allow you to get the human being, but if there is a human being, it allows you to determine if it's the right person. And this is what IPFS uses. So if you ever lose an IPFS file, you know the hash defines the link to the file. So anyone with the file can create the link that everyone can can get to. And so the question is kind of like, yeah, if you, with a fingerprint, can you with enough time grow a human, you know, that has the exact, you know, behavior or whatever. And, 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 um, you know, the answer with the computer thing, of course, is like, right. yes, uh, with enough time, but. IPFS has that quirk as well. If you upload the same data, you get the same content ID. And that's just because it's a deterministic caching of that data. So the pass for IPFS is like, what data do you want? Give me the checks in that data and we'll go and see if we have it. So um, I think when you have IPFS, your eyes, you're already like on chain with the content that's being there. If we wanted to like be very pedantic about what on chain is. Um, and I also want to like kind of stress like at any point we're sort of linking to things naturally, like at the very least, even if you're doing on chain uh, art, I think Michael, you put it well though, it's like, you can at least reconstruct it from just the chain data. Um, but like moon kitties, for instance, they're just a gene gen genome. And that's a very small amount of data that they had to store. And it's very easy to uh, create new crypto kitties. It's just a sequence of letters and numbers. So I guess like my point is um, in terms of like SVG and on-chain stuff, like, yeah, you, you find out pretty quickly like SVGs like this like powerful file format that nobody wants to use um, because it's not optimal drawing infinitely scaled images, especially at a high depth, um, high depth. Um, and then I guess like the URIs of like utilizing the animation URI, I, uh, Kim Asendorf has some great pieces. I love um, his latest work think is actually I don't know what his latest work is but his last piece that I got was sabotage.kim which is a web URI but all his works look like you know to the people that don't know what they're doing they think oh this is on-chain work but it's literally just the URI to his website and he's created generative algorithms he's like for sure creating generative art but people refuse to call it that because it's not on-chain and I think it's like kind of like harmful to the space for that reason. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, I think the purity thing is you got to be careful, you know, it's going to be passionate about this, this kind of stuff. And, you know, in particular, I think just, you know, the anti-censorship, anti-corporation side of things. Like in my previous job, I was uh, the CEO and founder of a digital media company, a music company called genius.com, which is basically like um, a lyric site that told you what the lyrics meant. And we got into this big thing with Google taking lyrics from our site and putting them above our site. And, you know, it's easy to, uh, you know, I think, especially in the context of like art, that's fun. Talk about on chain as like, Hey, like, you know, it's a game that we're all playing, but you know, let me assure you that from my time, like suing Google and losing, and we're trying to take it to Supreme court, maybe we'll, do that i don't know i'm not actually directly involved anymore it's like it is very real how much power corporations you know 
have, and it's really unlimited, the amount of power they have. And so any way to have any chance to do something that's not completely controlled by them. And that's what drew me to, you know, to Ethereum. So you, you can get kind of emotional and like, you know, nerdy about this stuff, or at least uh, I can. So I, I you know, I, I, I want to be a little bit of a purist in terms of there is something at stake here with this whole blockchain thing. It isn't just, um, you know, playing around. But I do agree that uh, you need to have, you know, a rationalistic outlook. You can't just be so pure. So I agree IPFS uh, gets a negative thing when people say it's on chain, no IPFS. Blah, blah. It's like, well, IPFS is, you know, pretty good. I mean, for one thing, uh, it gives you a link that never changes. And for another thing, it means it's impossible to tamper with the data. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, this is what this contract refers to. It's like, well, you can just check. Is it really? And if it, if it isn't, then um, it doesn't work. Whereas with on-chain, I mean, you know, you could have uh, contract A referring to contract B and then, oops, contract B has a security flaw and then contract A has the wrong data and there's no checksum. So in some ways, IPFS is actually uh, better because it is not uh, a closed system of contracts talking to contracts. It's based on real reality, which is you hash something and good luck finding another thing that has that uh, hash uh, to it. So, um, you know, there's something quite nice about, about IPFS now Someone still has to pay the bill and, and, and everything. On the generative art side, I do think it's a shame because previously OpenSea didn't really let you uh, do generative art that was JavaScript and everything in the animation URL. At least that's what I've been told. Uh, now it does. So if you look at something like Artblocks, you know, it's really kind of a shame that Artblocks and all of its glory is fundamentally um, you know, a centralized project because they have to maintain the server, right? Like I think they could have done all of that uh, and had all the code be on chain and have it work. So I think you know, anyone doing, uh, you know, anyone who's being dismissed by doing, uh, because they're doing generative art uh, off-chain, the good news is that the generative art's the hard part, you know, and the on-chain is much easier. So they can uh, move it on-chain and, you know, yes, you know, maybe there's provenance issues there and whatever, but uh, there's there's a lot of, uh, uh, of possibilities. And, um, you know, particularly if you're down to throw out any requirement of, you know, rendering, you know, in a good way, you know, uh, there's this, you know, there's this Rose project that was, looking pretty good someone's coming out with npm yeah, the, the blockchain yes but the thing Sorry. is is like the guy don who made the who like essentially imported yes work right right yes exactly yeah i mean there's also been a lot of work around archiving web pages with the nuances that come with javascript updating you can't assume javascript like i have a lot of processing.js or paper.js sketches that no longer work because the uh, browser changed so like canvas thing or um, I imported the wrong version but I guess that would be sort of yeah I mean I, I think to your point though this kind of gets to what I'm saying too about like the uh, there's no such thing as, as, as just here's the data like uh, if you show someone an on-chain HTML page you know they need to have a sufficiently advanced browser to view it, but they also maybe need one that's not too advanced, right? Maybe, you know, you should put uh, along with the uh, thing, you should say, okay, here's the HTML page, here's the SVG, and here's the exact version of Chrome, Chromium, you only use the Google version. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of this impossible uh, problem. Whereas with the PNG, right? Everyone is going to render the PNG the same way since like, you know, 2002 or whatever, since 1995, you know, so... Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a really challenging uh, thing to archive the the JavaScript. It is better to not have the external dependencies. I mean, I think if you have all the JavaScript you need in a single blob that you can shove into an iframe, you know, I think that that does get uh, 
get you a lot of the way. Yeah. But if you look at just even the differences between Chrome and Safari today, contemporaneously, we live in a pretty advanced society. You know, we have the um, AI art thing and VR coming soon, getting bigger. And yet still, Chrome and Safari don't look the same. So, you well, know, <laughs> pretty sure. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. But I wanted to, like, tail in on that. Like, the archive.org project does, like, some crazy stuff with virtual machines. I think it's actually part of Rhizome. Um, but you 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 made me remind me of something I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, try Phantom JS. So you could like render stuff without a browser. Um, so I, that, I, for this, it's a good, good, good question. So, so, so how do you actually take a screenshot? You know, uh, how do you take a screenshot is one question. And you can use your, you know, OS tools and you might come into some issues with the color not looking right, which happens to me on OS X because of the difference between the color profile of the monitor and the color profile of the thing. And like, I don't know how it works, but basically that's kind of weird. So screenshots are not easy, but you know, if you want to take a screenshot of 10,000 web pages, you need to do it programmatically. And so how do you, how do you do that? So uh, Phantom is one thing that I've heard of that I haven't used. I Googled around and the first thing I saw that seems to be the meme for this now is a thing called Puppeteer. And with Puppeteer, you basically go and um, write a very short program that I can uh, post. Actually, maybe I'll post that right now. And it basically the commands, you know, here I'll even... Um, I'll even just look at this right now. Basically, the command involved here is you, you know, create a web browser. You know, you create a page from that browser. These are just objects in your programming environment. You set the viewport, right? You set width equals, you know, width equals twelve hundred, height equals twelve hundred, because it's you know twelve hundred by twelve hundred is the meme thing. You put the content in the page, and then you uh, take a screenshot, and that's how it that's how it works. Now, I have a separate thing on here that I actually have to wait until a specific element has a class name on it, has a class on it, because I'm doing JavaScript to set up the page, which makes it harder. But it's a pretty simple thing. But what's not simple and what's hilarious, actually, if you want to actually get this to work, you can't just run a, um, you know, a purpose-built command line browser because uh, it won't work. Right? It's not good enough. What you have to run is basically Chrome. And what this looks like, because I'm doing this at like you know, max parallelism, I'm running like 10 of these at once, as you see in my, uh, you know, I posted this uh, as a, it's one of these pinned tweets in my doc, which is the Mac OS bottom bar thing. You see all of these browsers opening up, closing, opening up, closing, opening up, closing. So you see this like chaos of, you know, uh, user facing activity based on what this command line script is doing, because there's no way to get the right screenshot in command line world because it just, you need the actual browser to, to work. It's yeah. pretty wild. Stuff. I live with Chromium. Um, is what Phantom JS uses, right? And I think I just thought there'd be a way to do the headless thing without me having to see the icons. Here's a great, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm glad you insane. know all the tools and are automating. I missed that part, but um, I literally yeah, found like, out this like two days ago. Also, by the way, that's kind of why I'm into. It. So it's like I'm 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 getting like just recently kind of, but it's well, cool. It, it, I guess my point with like the browser rendering stuff is like the like the web browser is like hyper HTTP hypermedia text transfer protocol. Like any media you want to display is probably like Chromecast is so successful. I think because it's like a very cheap device. Um, it has like a video processor on it, and it's able to render web pages, and that's like the the minimum UX you need for anything really, and. Like it's just it just goes to a web page, um, 
and HTTP takes over. I think what is interesting in this conversation, when you talk about snapshots and stuff, but I think of checksums being like the sort of a, a nice in between until you can get like, I don't know. So like a big problem I have with anything that's on an IPFS, I guess it's like the content of the data is not verified. Um, you could change it on at any point. I guess like the lock contract thing is also a word, like somebody could always change the get base for I. Um, but I think like there is, I don't know enough about to talk about like provenance hashes. I think we're part, part of a solution here with that. Um, that I do think like a content hash might be at least, uh, you know, useful for somebody on the other end that's not immutable to say, oh, I got, I have the right data. Um, even though I had to like reconstruct it from like archive.org or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I think you're making a very good point, which is that the content hash gives you more security in many cases than even on-chain data does. Because when it's on-chain, you know, <laughs> unlike what we might say or whatever, not every on-chain contract has been, you know, not, we're not all like the CryptoPunks data contract. Like the data contract that you get all CryptoPunks attributes and images from, that contract is so clean. It's got no NFT garbage in it. It's just a data thing. And the only transaction in it are them uploading the data and they locked it after that. Now it can never be changed. Not everything is like that. There are a lot of contracts out there that are on-chain. And yeah, well, what if we need to fix this thing or whatever? So, you know, there, there is kind of a, um, uh, there is kind of maybe a little bit of a misconception there where, you know, when it comes to permanence, uh, you know, you have the permanence on the one hand, but what about the, uh, you know, desires, the uh, even misguided desires of the owner or even the mistake of the owner? There's always the possibility for a uh, mistake. Maybe I'll jump to uh, just another uh, brother, brother Chuck. What's up? You've had your hand up. Hey mate, I just wanted to say that on the on the Chia blockchain, they do content hashes for the data itself. So you've got three URIs, a metadata URI, which will have, you know, like your JSON metadata. Your data, uh, sorry, that's the metadata URI. The data URI itself is like the image. Can anybody hear me? Okay. Yes, can we can hear? We can hear you, but you might not be able to hear uh, Brother brother Chunk, who's, who's going. So yeah, it's okay. Yeah, go, go ahead. Um, and then there's the, um, tell him to put his captions off on if you can't hear me, then he'll see that I'm talking. Um, the other one is the license URI. All of those are hashed um, in the actual NFT itself. So when you've got the NFT, you can't, you can't go and change the data URI, which is um, kind of like having a provenance hash. But another good thing is that you can actually add URIs to the NFT. So just say you've got, you know, the, the IPFS gets unpinned or something happens and you want to upload a version of that image or that license file or that metadata to your own website, you can then add that URI to the NFT and you start, you start then going into, well, you can create your own permanence. You can then curate or get the get the permanence that you require for the nft it doesn't happen at a collection level it happens at a individual nft level because for uh cheer nfts they they become smart coins not smart contracts so every nft is its own um one of one even though they can be linked in as part of a, a full collection 
So in a way, you can do both. You can have the IPFS hash, uh, the CID, saying that it's, you know, it's it, it can only be that CID. But then on top of that, you can have a SHA-256 hash of that embedded in the NFT. Well, not can have, it's a requirement of the NFT1 standard. That's interesting. So let me ask this question. So Chia, first of all, I've been interested in Chia with the merge. It's been coming on my 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 radar. Uh, radar, thinking about it. I think one thing, it's interesting what you say, like to have that really built in. I think, you know, but is there a mechanism, I'm curious about the mechanism, if you want to have like a dynamic NFT, right, where, you know, you have like the, um, you know, you want to render uh, as the image of a given NFT, you want to render like just like the current timestamp or something like this. And so, you know, that dynamism of that, you know, can't be, you know, nailed down with the content hash, which is always changing, but is that, or, or is that like not allowed or how, how does it, how does it account for, for that type of dynamic situation? Yeah, that's the, I think that's the current issue with the NFT one standard, but it doesn't mean that you can't create your own, um, your own smart coins with, uh, with stuff like that in it. And I think that the NFT one standard was um, not rushed out, but it, it came out at a point which, you know, with the current feature set and there's more features coming. So, I mean, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a landscape to understand at the moment. Um, I myself are just, you know, just launching collections on Chia and trying to understand how, what the next step is to that. What I would probably say is um, something I've been thinking about on Ethereum is an SVG that actually takes uh, input data somehow. So then the actual SVG doesn't change. Um, and, it's displaying timestamp information based on what the browser's giving it, but there's there's issues with SVGs currently showing up on um, on wallets and things like that too. So there's work to be done. It's quite early. I mean, the NFT standard, the the actual way to mint NFTs and, and have NFTs on Chia only came out what maybe three months ago, so it is early days. But I, I still see a bright future in that. You know, you're fighting against that provenance. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's also interesting, right? Like, yeah, content hash, like, you can also go too far with the content hash and think it's something it's not, right? Where, you know, the content hash, the hash of the file uh, gives you the fingerprint of that file and makes it impossible to change that file without changing the fingerprint. And, you know, yeah, makes you able to validate any file out there as being the right file. But typically in life, though, you're not interested in just the raw contents of a file. You are interested in, the way that file manifests to you or what it does, right? So if it's an image, it's just the raw content. It just sits there. But if it's an executable thing like JavaScript, then you probably don't care, especially if it's minified code, you probably don't care what that, what the characters are of that code. You care what it does. And it is not one-to-one with the characters, what it does. So this is one of the classic computer science that, you know, Turing completeness and, 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 and halting problem type stuff and all this thing where, Given a piece of code, it is impossible to figure out what it does. And so if there's JavaScript that shows you a pretty picture today, don't think that that same JavaScript code will show you a pretty picture tomorrow. It might do something totally different. It's impossible to say what it does. And so content hash does not get you all the way there. It doesn't get you there to say, this art is what I think it is, right? It gets you there to say, the, the code is, is, is what I think the code should, should be. But you are not putting the code, the text of the code on your wall. Probably if you are, then you're good. But if you're executing the code and putting the output <laughs> of that on your wall or looking at it, then um, you're, you're at square one, basically, because there is no way ever in a million years to determine what code does in a generalized way. You can sort of do it in some specific cases, but uh, you can never bank on it. So, you know, that's kind of the limit of the, uh, of, of the hash thing. And if you look at generative art, like 
you know, and even like the, um, the young stuff that we were talking about, which is done, generated with like just SVG filter, or whatever, like, you know, all of this stuff is like the coolest stuff anyway, where some crazy stuff happens. So, you know, you're, you're kind of in still some, some trouble uh, here. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Yoke, what's up? Oh, I wanted to add on to what Chunk was talking about because I'm also very much big Geo fan. Um, the content hash verification, uh, and I think Chunk mentioned it as well. Mentioned as well, like there's three different hashes you can put into the NFT that's immutable, and then you can append URLs. Um, that's content metadata and license. Um, I think I've heard people doing a workaround where, like, basically, if you're doing like a if you wanted to do a poster really, you could essentially like serve the correct content on the mentor side, but then, you know, block all public access until it's all out. Um, the content hash of what you're talking about, that makes total sense. Like, you know, JavaScript doesn't produce, if it produces an image, is it going to produce the same image tomorrow? I think that goes back to like what we're talking about, like, um, just like setups and stuff, like having the right Chrome browser and will this work indefinitely. Um, makes me think of WebAssembly as a kind of like maybe a binary static linked thing that we can like make sure it always runs as long as it's a web browser. But um, yeah, the content hash. So I guess like my point thinking is like we shouldn't just like think of it as just images and not even content of that is it what's in, you know what's there, maybe it is a project that generates the image or it's a bit of HTML, and you're hashing like an HTML that's the link file but that HTML page links to other things, so you're not necessarily hashing that. So you probably want to link to the root directory when you're doing content hash, and I don't know how that works. Um, probably still serves index.html, but that's all stuff that's like, like month, like chunk mentioned is in flux, but it's a, uh, I think it's like a pretty good, like, I don't know about the SVG. Like I, I haven't had issues with SVGs. Maybe it's like a uh, bug you should file, but I think there's a lot of um, power in that content hash, but you're making me think of like temporal performative works where there is media and you can't necessarily take a screenshot or a thumbnail of the entire thing. That's too costly. Um, or temporal, like a game of life where it's a random seed every time you can't pre-compute every rendering. Um, so I don't know how you would like essentially would do that with the Kim Bassendorf pieces I, was, I have are thinking about, like they have a random seed generation um every time they're viewed so that that yeah, yeah. is interesting i mean all these things eventually get a wikipedia page and there's some image on them so the game of life has a, has a thing on there but yeah i mean i i think it's 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 interesting though that you can't even know what it's going to be like there could be a multimedia generative whole thing and here it is in javascript but then by the way what on my 40th birthday which is very very far away by the way on my 40th birthday poof it's going to change into something completely deranged and disgusting or you know it's, that's my prank you know and so, you know, given that that's always the possibility, right, you just never know. You could wait until the sun burns out and then decide what the art is. You know what I mean? So it's like you, you, that's this is my problem with the content hash question because you just don't know uh, what it is that you are, uh, you know, hashing. If you don't know whether the art is what the art's going to do tomorrow, then, you know, being able to verify its authenticity, it's like its authenticity with what? what it's equal to what? I don't even know, you know, what it is. So I think that's kind of a... Um, 
uh, an interesting um, brother. What's up? What's up? You got your hand up again. Thanks, mate. I just wanted to add that we have, with, with Chia smart coins, you could probably do something that um, that actually does change on your 40th birthday. So you could actually have the coin is, re is ready to be spent and then a new NFT gets minted from it. And coins coins can act on like block heights and things like that. So it, it almost could be a timed coin. Um, so there are, I guess... We're thinking about it with an Ethereum brain, but I'm trying to kind of give you the uh, the chair perspective. But coins coins could do that because there's actually code inside each coin. It's not coin. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's no, Turing complete, right? Chia. I think Chia is, is, it is. is you know you can do anything. So yeah, you know I mean maybe it's doing a different metaphor, a different structure of the coin thing. But yeah, you could do it. Sounds like you could do it with the coin thing. There, you could do it on a smart contract level with Ethereum. You know, you can, um, you know, it's not just the question of can you do it. Also, it's can you do it in a way that no one could ever know? And the answer is definitely yes. And what does that mean? Like, I don't know. But it's a, uh, I mean, Ethereum, it's like called not verifying a contract even. So, so what else? What else we got? Who else we got? I mean, I, I, uh, let's get a new, a new, um, uh, new voice in here. We got a new, um, new person coming to the stage. We got Dove. We got Piv. They're old voices, but I still... Still like those voices. All right, who's who? Who just came up here? We got um, that was me. Food. What's up, guys? I heard Chia, and I'm like a developer as well in this space. Oh, so no, this guy. Well, like I had, I have a question because, like, I I literally just did um, a project with a uh, the team, and we did a 100% like on chain NFT where we actually. Um, base 64 encoded the images into the blockchain so like actually into the db and um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to the title i'm just kind of like you know the future of on-chain nfts is off-chain kind of uh, perked my interest um and to kind of touch on what just quickly to touch on what uh chunk had just mentioned um it's absolutely 100 possible to um uh, you know, you can pretty much encode little scripts into SVG files, which then you could encode um, into the coins um, in Chia, into the smart contract part, and you can like kind of wrap it all together. Um, so that's actually something that uh, I think is would be really interesting. Would be to have like NFTs that uh, change with like a timestamp. So like you know maybe the you know, the background is uh, nighttime at night and daytime during the day and fall during fall and winter during winter. And yeah, there's a lot of little, I mean, that's kind of basic, um, kind of a basic like next uh, next level of primitive, I think, for what we're looking for. Like uh, uh, that requires kind of a data layer to store everything on, um, which is one of the next things coming up in the Chia roadmap. Uh, but uh, yeah, like besides that though, yeah, you could do lots of little things. Like I was even thinking about like possibly doing like game levels. Like you could uh, essentially, you know, just code little game levels and sell them as NFTs and you'd have to collect all the levels, uh, uh, you know, to beat the game or the story. Um, yeah, there's lots of uh, awesome little things. I think on-chain is actually probably like, you know, for NFTs, the future. So I'm just kind of curious as to like the whole what's going on. And uh, yeah, sorry for um, kind of rambling on. No worries. No worries. Thanks for your input. 
yeah, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. You know, you can do more on chain if you switch chains itself. If you want to be on a different chain, you can obviously have more more options, things that are more geared for it. Um, but I don't know. I think I think off chain is the future. I'm not. Uh, you know, in my bio, I have folk alethiologist. Um, alethiology is the study of, of truth. I don't think that things need to be on chain to be good. And I think that most things probably don't don't need to be on chain. Sorry to say, as a, as a Capsule Twenty One contributor, I'm I'm, uh, I'm off chain pilled. Um, let's move on to to Daobao. Welcome. What's up? I want to hear about this X copy thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I'm still sort of in the midst of trying to get more and more information, but I mean, if everybody understands, maybe you've watched that uh, X -Cop, one of Xcopy's pieces sold at Sotheby's, I think two days ago for $500,000 at the Hammer. Um, and then, you know, I randomly uh, happened to read a tweet from uh, Skrilla Ventura. I, uh, I can try to post this link. Uh, to the chat in a minute after I've talked. But in it, uh, Skrilla says that he was the original owner, that he minted this or bought this on Super Rare, that Super Rare has a royalties contract language that says the first original collector of a piece will, in perpetuity, get 1% of the proceeds of further sales. And he was just pointing out that um, he didn't get 1% of that sale. And he was pointing out and then in subsequent conversations was discussing that, you know, you don't have to honor a smart contract in a way. You don't have to honor the royalties in a, in a contract. You, you There are many ways in which uh, a future buyer or a collector or a platform can get rid of certain royalties. And so that's that's basically the story. There's a there's this wonderful sale that I think gives a lot of visibility to the NFT space. Um, not all of the, I guess, rules, I guess is the word for it, are honored in the, you know, from the original minting of the piece. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing. And, and, and I guess the interesting thing is, my viewpoint on it is that Web3 or NFTs as a, as a kind of system or or a, a rule of, a, of, of, of certification is kind of always at the whim of human desires and human functions. So it's like, it, there's this idea that code is law, but like code is law is really at the whim of human whim. So I, I don't know how else to say it. So that's what that's all about. Um, I tried to get a hold of Sotheby's, nobody responded to my emails. Um, but I'd love to know what Sotheby's did. I'd love to get, like, get into the weeds with them and figure out like, okay, there's all this stuff that Super Rare claims for these contracts, but then how do you get around it? What did you do? And then like, did you negotiate something? Because the first collector had no idea and he obviously didn't get anything from it. So I don't know. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I think that they're, this is still like such a nascent uh, tech and like a nascent culture and people want to say things very matter-of-factly um but kind of lack the foresight to say you know however many years or months after we make super rare we realize that like oh actually this thing that we were guaranteeing our artists and collectors isn't necessarily possible or enforceable or something that we can guarantee to them 
And I think it's events like that that will kind of change how they word things and change what they promise um, or hopefully change the check or change the tech, sorry, uh, to be able to enforce these kinds of things. Um, I'm not sure if that is possible, but, you know, one of those two things has to happen, right? Yeah. I oh, are you guys talking? Oh, sorry. Um, I should raise my hand. Uh, are you guys talking about like selling like fungible objects on chain? Is that like kind of what I'm hearing? Like, so Sotheby sold a, uh, a painting of an NFT. No, no. Sorry. They sold an NFT. NFT. They, they, they sold an X copy NFT. They okay. had a big auction yesterday. They had like an East. Sorry. I don't think you guys like summarized it, but just. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just like trying to catch up. Yeah. The think they're talking about the Sotheby's auction yesterday where one of his pieces and I was just like looking at Daobao's tweets. Apparently somebody bought the wrong one. Oh. I don't know what's going Sounds. on. But I'm assuming it's the Sotheby's auction went over yesterday. And no, well, the there's a lot were. of... So I think I think since the original tweet, there have been a lot of other tweets questioning whether that was the correct one or not. And then it was later said, yes, it was the correct one. So there's a, the, the whole point is... Uh, the, the part that I was focusing on was the general idea that you have this this concept called web3 which is not really here it's not something that i mean this is not web3 right there there are these ideas of what web3 can be you have examples where things happen now whether and again i'm still researching this you have things that things happen and when these things happen it brings up into question all of these concepts that seem to be truths about Web3 that are not truths about Web3. They, like, the, my whole point, whether whether it ends up being true or not, is that there, it, is, it is true that when, when the, so I, I talked to a guy named John Borthwick, who is a VC investor. He was one of the very first people in 2014 at the 7x7 conference who minted a piece of work when Anil Dash was on, on stage with Kevin McCoy showing this NFT technology. Yes, Borthwick yeah. makes the claim, Borthwick makes the claim that, you know, NFTs are not really tech. NFTs are a system of tech uses that have not fully been realized. And that's really my point. Like, you have this sale at Sotheby's, there's the allegation that in Super Rare's contract, there's a 1% royalty given to the first collector the sale happens, $500,000 at the hammer. Sotheby's gets a percentage. That's, that's, the, that's the price after Sotheby's gets their commission. What happens to the 1% that was in the contract? So I'm still digging, but it is a good question because this is not the only time, as from what, I've, from what I understand, where you know someone has claimed that there is a royalty that will be honored in a smart contract but if it gets sold through a specific type of secondary platform, the royalty is not honored. So the simple point is, there are all of these examples where people claim Web3's code is law. Code is law is not really happening because humans are making decisions about what to do with code is law. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic when you start dealing with tech that tries to make fundamental truths tangible because it always gets confronted with 
the human use of fundamental truths. So that was that was really my point. So yeah, so I, you know, I think this is interesting, and you know, I, I think um, definitely aligned with the current like anti loyalties meta, and I think there is a very true thing, which is the uh, naive thing that I thought and bragged to people that too, like why Web three is good, why you should think this is not a scam, like the naive thing about like royalties going to work in some way or better way here. Uh, that is, you know, the the blinders are the the things are coming off for that. It's like pretty clear it's kind of a mess. Now at the same time. That doesn't mean that you can just go around scamming people. And so if Super Rare made some kind of commitment here, uh, you know, and there's some uh, there's enough at stake for someone to like try to hold them to it. You know, there you can't just uh, uh, make a commitment and then uh, try to wriggle out, especially if you're a company that makes a lot of money. And just like you wriggle out of it because of the technicality, like, you know, happens all the time. If you're Google, I don't know if it happens if you're super rare. But, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the it's funny to bring this up, though, because it's like a very clear example of like, you know, as you say, the sort of. Um, you know, wool coming over the eyes, like, you know, royalties don't actually work in this beautiful Crystal Palace way. But, you know, also what happened this week is a way bigger thing uh, in the vein of whether code is law. And that is something called the merge, which is to say there was a way that people made the most important decisions, every decision in Ethereum, including who owned what NFT, every single NFT, who owned everything, right? Uh, you know, if there's a new quote unquote block, you know, the blockchain coming out, there were all these rules that said, uh, here is how you determine, you know, what block goes in. And, um, Part of those rules are saying, basically, this is it. You can't just scam a new block in a different way. If you're doing a different way of putting a new block in, uh, it's not going to work. You will never get a new block in this way. And then this all changed because we moved to a different uh, blockchain because uh, the people who are in charge, <laughs> meaning the people who run Ethereum uh, Foundation and the corporations who have the value that's in the um, uh, in the blockchain made it made a decision. So, you know, the new blockchain uh, has a lot of positive features afforded to it. The environmentalism thing is obviously, you know, number one and the meta of that, which is no more criticizing Ethereum for environmental things is also up there. But, you know, it's never been done before. It's uh, controversial um, and it has, you know, risks and downsides. And uh, that was a decision uh, that was made, um, you know, in a very centralized uh, way now over the course of years and blah, 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 whatever. The point being. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm just saying I've invited Skrilla to come join the space. He may come or not. I don't know. But yeah, the piece that sold was the real pace. He should be in the, the space. It would be great to get his sort of take on what happened. I, I think I've explained it pretty clearly. So um, if you want to give him the role of speaker, but but please continue Middlemarch with your, I, I'm sorry for interrupting. Just please continue with your. He's here. Well, if there's, um, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, the, the, the point uh, is, that um, uh, you now have a situation where you are uh, not only in, uh, you, you not only have to explain to someone, to yourself, how Ethereum works, you have to explain how this meta decision-making process about when to fork Ethereum uh, works. And, um, you know, a lot of times there are uncontroversial forks, whatever, but like, you know, the next fork might be one that you don't like, you know, and so... Uh, what is the way of, of figuring out what that's going to be and when it's going to happen? And um, likewise, in addition to understanding what the you know contract says or is supposed to say about royalties, you have to understand what it really says. The same thing is true of the whole thing. What does the whole thing really say? Critical function. What's up, my man? You've been waiting. Oh, and Skrilla's here uh, too. So critical function, then Skrilla. Yeah, it's just uh, this. Maybe uh, I don't know if someone had something that was direct now but mine's related to the very outset of the conversation that you were looking for responses on you know should things be on how they appear 
So I don't know if you want to wait and if, if anyone else has anything to say regarding this particular thing you're talking about now and maybe I'll come back. I'm, I'll just jump in the shower. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go to Skrilla, who, um, who is, yeah. who is uh, involved but in I, the I've got specific to say situation later, can so say the truth, the single truth. <laughs> Yo, what's up? Hey. How y'all doing? Welcome. Good to meet you. Peace. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Uh, I was just talking to Daobao earlier, and then uh, he just messaged me saying some people were sending some tweets around that it wasn't the real piece. I didn't. I guess I need a little context before I weigh in. So, yeah, let me just give you the context. So what I'm trying to do is I was just trying to explain that you had been the first collector of this piece. This piece was then sold at a Sotheby's auction. As the first collector of the piece, according to Super Rare's terminology or contract terms or whatever you want to call it, you should have received 1% of the proceeds of that sale, I guess, in perpetuity, right? So you were just making the point, and I think that comes through in your tweets, that you didn't get the proceeds of that. And so I was saying that this is interesting because it calls into question this idea of code is law and that, and that platforms are not really whether it's an off-chain platform, an on-chain platform, or whatever kind of thing, is not really honoring what the, the code is law dogma is saying. And then someone was alleging that there were tweets saying that the piece wasn't actually the real piece. I have not seen that. I don't know what that's about. But I just thought that as the person who was the first collector, you could at least give your viewpoint on what you think happened and like what you think it means for artists or collectors who are trying to like take the NFT space seriously and what they're up against in, 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 in context like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's been, ha you know, happening for, for a while um, in this space that, uh, I mean, it's a, I don't know how to unpack this. So I bought the, I bought the original piece on a scribe. A scribe was a, um, I paid Ethereum for it, one Ethereum for it, and then several weeks later a scribe which was a one of the first like crypto art platforms um where you can mint you know your artwork on there it was not like minting like you think of now it was more like a you know it was you collected the artwork but it was like on their quote-unquote contract which you know years now people have been trying to figure out where that contract even exists but it was on a scribe.io it was minted into the bitcoin blockchain I haven't seen, you know, I know people are digging around trying to find where that piece was. Some people are even saying that a scribe might not have even really minted it in or it, nobody really knows from what I can tell. And I know there's people digging because it's like a treasure hunt because there's like millions of dollars of X copies, you know, out there possibly. Um, when I bought his piece, it was the only one of one on the platform. He had additions and other stuff. So, I, I mean, I guess I bought the first one of one x copy at that time and then the platform folded a few months later a few maybe a couple months later he hit me up and was like yo i'm gonna i didn't even realize it had folded you know what i mean um he hit me up he was like yo i'm gonna mint this on super rare me and him had both already minted on super rare at that time and i was like oh cool all right transferred over he's like i'm gonna alter it a little bit and send it to you so he did that so the version that i bought on a scribe is definitely like a little bit different it's the same but so the colors are a little different. Um, 
that might be a little grainy effect it's different you know it's essentially the same but not but not really right um so the way i looked at it and i've talked to x copy several times about it over the years and that is that me and him have a, a agreement that that token that he gave me that artwork was you know the exchange for the artwork i bought um with that said then and you know the heat of x copy running up and prices going crazy last year i had a number of collectors dming me telling me that they would pay me you know, six figures or more for my login to scribe and do I have the email? And, you know, they're asking me all these questions and I definitely, you know, hit up X copy to be like, you know, this is what's happening. Um, I still, you know, I honored I, me. I honor X copy's request that this is what it was. We swapped it one for one. Does the other one exist? Yes. But I don't know where. So essentially it doesn't exist. I mean, it existed, I guess. It was never... It was pre all this stuff, all this hype now. You know what I mean? Like this was like early on. X Copy was just a, uh, a digital artist and he had just learned about minting. It wasn't called minting anyways. Tokenizing, you know, a certificate of authenticity into the blockchain. And they had a picture of the of the departed work, which really you can go on um, Imgur and find the departed work that I bought. And that's where, you know, it had like 10 million views already by the time I think I even bought it. Um, or millions of views at least. And um, so I view that as like, that's what it was. Now, he's told some, some of his early collectors that, you know, if somebody does find the ascribe keys and da da da, then he would make people, you know, make sure that every, the people that bought it were rewarded with them not some like treasure hunt diggers but that again is like neither here nor there because i don't think it's going to happen um with that said then the super rare piece in 2020 or i think yeah i think in the sometime in 2020 super rare implemented collectors royalties where it was to make probably anyway um i wasn't involved in the talks but i imagine it was to make uh people sell artwork more like make it more liquid where you know you don't have to hold on and wait for a, a piece that you think is going to be very valuable if you want to let it change hands and know that you know down the line if it does ever become like that grail piece then you would be rewarded with a first collector uh, royalty of one percent and i believe the second creator of royalty of 20 of 50 percent a third collector royalty of 25 percent down the line so what this did and it um far as i can tell i'm not getting my my royalty I've, I've talked to super rare people about it i've talked i, I messaged uh the seller and got no response and um it seems like yeah uh you know i got i got dicked out of my royalty which like job i was saying is what the problem with royalties kind of is and that you know me being somebody has been around making minting art since 2016 Royalties didn't even come into play until two years after I started minting. So it was never really a thing with us. We, you know, we were, <clears throat> it, it wasn't that big of a deal to me, to be honest with you. Like, I know a lot of people started coming in in 2020 and 2021. And, you know, they were being uh, influenced in by, you know, big collectors and marketers saying that the reason you want to do this is because you get perpetual royalties of forever. But I, I think that, the main thing that you should come in here for 
and we can see it's time and time again because royalties get skirted all the time, is that it's for provenance, chain of custody. Like that's, that's like the main thing um, that you should be minting your artwork for, in my opinion. Like that's, the, that's the special thing of the blockchain. There's smart contracts to do this and that, but royalties are good. But they're only as good as your collector, as we can see. I've I've had number of pieces sell on super rare and then on the royal, on the secondary market. You know, if a flipper buys it or something, they'll go and sell it on OpenSea or those you know before the before OpenSea honored the same contract. And then they've also done OTC deals where all you gotta do is you know transfer it to somebody and you the royalties are you know nobody sees the royalties. So, like I said, royalties are only as good as a collector. They are not built into anything really you can't make them built in because if you make a royalty built in then anytime you transfer your your piece from your wallet to your wallet or whatever any kind of transfer to a gallery whatever you're going to be paying a royalty on that which just you know that's the opposite of free market and uh, you know the idealism of what blockchain is and um so it doesn't make sense at the end of the day um and i think like really you can go in and you can listen to theo goodman or read some of Theo Goodman's pieces, who's been writing kind of like skeptically about artist royalties for years. And with, with all that, and he's done some good pieces. With all that said, what I'm trying to tell you is that I think royalties are good. Like, I mint my one-of-ones generally on ETH so that I can get the royalties. You know, not every, again, not everybody's honored them, but that's the idea. Because then if I sell a piece, I, I know I can sell a piece for, you know, whatever... I think, you know, partial of what my worth, what I think might be like what I, you know, would sell like a, a Bitcoin piece for. I can sell it and be like, all right, change hands. That's the end of the day, like the type of artist I am. I want to just make art and get it into people's hands. I don't want to just sit on it and speculate on it. Wait till it becomes like a million dollars. It's not really my thing. Like I, like, I think artists should, most real artists want to fucking have that shit, you know, collected by somebody and, and you know, for the value of them making them you know, happy or sad or whatever the fuck. So, you know, you could sell something. You know, I, like, I just put up a artwork today on Twitter, the last post I put up, and I that's, like, one of my worst paper hands I've done. It's one of my favorite pieces I did, and I sold it for, like, $700 or something, which uh, was far below my market value, quote-unquote, whatever the fuck that means at the time. And... You know, the person who owns it, I don't know who owns it or anything, but hopefully they, when they sell on the secondary, like it goes for more and say they sell it for $7,000, then I would see another $700 off of that. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like the idea of like having royalties. Like Matt Gazer is another good example, or Matt Kane's Gazer is another good example where he got his Gazers came out in a bear during a bear cycle in the market uh, last year. And you know, I think a lot of people thought that they would sell mint out at like five, six ETH a piece. They didn't start minting out until really about um, 0.25. I think a couple minted at 0.5. One person bought it a little bit more, but the majority of them went for 0.25 ETH at the time, which is far below what Matt's pieces were going for. And so it made sense that those all got minted out for, you know, the collectors got good prices and then the secondary volume Matt gets all the royalties as they've gone up in value now. You know, I, I don't know what the floor of those are now, but last I looked, it was like 12 or 14 ETH. So now they're worth it, you know, kind of more of what Matt's value is at. And so it makes sense for that. But again, 
I, you know, I have some gazers. I could send anybody in here the gazers and skirt the royalties if I wanted to. But what I guess I'm trying to roundabout say is that the royalties are just like the real world. It's only as good as your collector. Like even on XCP, I have a piece that sold for over a million dollars on in Bitcoin, and I sold it for fifty dollars in 2016. There was no royalties, anything. Um, but the collector who bought that. Uh, was kind enough to send me some royalties in the form of rare Pepe cards, which he knew I was trying to collect a certain set and it just like gifted it to me. It was like, here, here you go. Thanks for, you know, I made a ton of money and here's my gift to you. And that, that's kind of like you had to, no matter what, you kind of got to have this relationship with your collector, I think to, to get those royalties generally, because still people will be on the market and, you know, if they don't respect your, who you are as an artist or your, relationship and they can skirt the royalty system and so that's what's happened here wow thank you that that's a wild story and actually some of that background that you give really helps i think i, I hope it helps people understand the mentality of the artists who have been in the space for you know a long time so that that's really amazing that you gave us that that background um did did anybody want to say anything on that like i think I think it's, I mean, I think Skrilla basically said what needs to be said, which is that, you know, it's kind of like what Dove was saying, like these, it's amorphous, right? It's like the space is changing very fast. Uh, we don't actually know where the technology arc takes us. And the technology arc, you know, even if we're dealing with art, is going to be molded by human intentions. And so let me ask this question is in this specific and that was, I think, a really, you know, super helpful, wide ranging uh, perspective. And as that about says, like I and myself personally, as are probably some of these people in the room, like pretty new to this whole thing. All the metas kind of washed over us in this, you know, flashing lights kind of way. But to sort of see the arc of how this, you know, you know started, it wasn't even called minting. And then the arc of the, the royalties thing. And then, and then there's like maybe some, as you mentioned, the sort of case where, you know, the royalties were really helpful. I forget the artist's name going from 0.25 to, to 12. I just have kind of a specific question. In this case, is the, and probably they were going to say like, you know, because it's Southern, you know, it's like people getting involved this level. Maybe it's just like pure business. Like we don't have to pay this person. Screw them. But like, is there, uh, in terms of the exact mechanism by which you would get paid, is it the case? I thought, I, I thought you said that, is it the same NFT specifically, or is it just the same, you know, image as it evolved? And I understand that's like not like the most uh, no, I, you know, I get what you're... 2022 way to look at it because of, versus how yeah. it actually evolved. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, yeah, it's not the same for sure. Like there are two different mints, 100. Um, percent But like I said, neither neither time where they called a mint. Like back in the super rare time, well, I don't think we were calling them mints. We we're calling them tokenizing your artwork and prior to that you know it's a few months before that a scribe just they did it a little bit different i don't know exactly and that's that's the thing man a scribe was a new technology that came out and nobody really knew what they were doing it was just the fact that you know, i'm sure that you know you know a little bit but you know it's basically like here this art is on the scribe you know scribe.io you can go there and see their landing page where they kind of like gave their resignation letter and um you know their idea was earlier than what most marketplaces ended up doing like rare art labs and ascribe both you know on bitcoin and on ethereum saw this potential which 
you know, kind of came from like Rare Pepe Marketplace and came from Spells of Genesis and came from uh, CryptoPunks to a degree as well. So people saw that people wanted to collect digital art, but they didn't know the means of how to make it really work. And that's all I think this is, is that it was such an archaic thing that people have started to get it right. I don't think we're even all the way right yet, obviously. Like, I think I see the name of this, you know, on-chain NFTs and off-chain, and that, I think that's a good topic for sure. Um, there's, you know, you know, <laughs> even with that, though, I mean, you can get rid of a blockchain, There's, you know, and then what it's on-chain where, you know. So, like, at the end of the day, all this shit is a social consensus, in my opinion, and, um, you know, it's kind of what, you know, between at least for this piece, me and X Copy decided that this was the piece, the second piece. First piece disappeared. We didn't think about it like, oh, you know, in several years, this piece might be worth more because it disappeared and da da da. You know, it's kind of like become that. But um, at the end of the day, you know, the piece was what it was, the second piece. So it is two different tokens, yes, but it weren't even tokens like the, the ascribed one. I don't even think you can call it a token. It was more just like writing it into the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, you weren't, you weren't rewarded a token with that. I don't, I think they gave me like a hash. I'd have to go through my emails and stuff, but they might've given me like a hash. They might not have even done that. I can't remember. It might've been on my ascribe page. Like at the time you only could view it in your ascribe like profile, which doesn't exist anymore. So it's hard for me to really re recall how that looked. So your answer is hard to, hard to answer but yes it's two different things but they weren't both tokens i don't think either the super rare token oh. was a token which again now we're on to like you know artist token contracts with like um manifold and all these other things like these this was minted on the super rare erc20 token standard before even 721 so like if you look um you know on etherscan you'll see it under ERC-20 as a SPR or SUPR token um, with the number after it, like number like 57 or something like that, or 121 or whatever. And um, that's how those looked at that time. That I think is also just super, and I was just even looking up what a scribe is, which I still don't totally know. It's fascinating. As you say, it's shut down. So that's another question about like, you know, the, the web two things. So you can't see the profile page and uh, the way things were represented and talked about on that site is probably very relevant to conversations about the social intent of what was going on we can't see that you know that's lost but i think the mm -hmm. platform as i understand it right is sort of a proto uh you know ethereum-esque thing where it's you know it's bitcoin so you can't actually uh you know have tokens or nfts but you can you uh, can no, you, you totally we, we already had i had already minted like 50 to 100 you know quote-unquote nfts by that time in 2018 using bitcoin so we and i still i've minted you know 150, 200 tokens on Bitcoin at least. But Probably isn't that through? This is like, great. I guess, oh, okay. You can go. 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 Okay, I was just going to say, like, I guess, so the mechanism there, I guess there are Bitcoin L2, but in the end, the Bitcoin blockchain itself, all you can do is, like, you know, write a hash to it, write a, you know, summary right. of something that happened somewhere else. And so, you know, you couldn't have, like, a... You use, uh, the, op, you use the op return. Right. And so... You know, you you and I, what I'm trying to say also is I think that's like fine. It's like I agree with you. It's a social, you know, the social construct. So you couldn't have like an open sea of that because you can't have one contract reading who owns uh, uh, what. But maybe you don't need that because again, even open sea itself is built around just a social, you know, understanding and a social convention of 
you know, what's happening. And so I think really what's just so important when you hear something like uh, this backstory and even just looking to scribe is just to think, okay, you're so, and I'm talking to myself here, you're so into the majestic beauty of ERC 721 uh, NFTs and you are saying like, oh my God, how could you ever do an ERC 20 or worse still not even have a token? It's like the thing you are using today uh, will be looked back on, you know, as, as uh, uh, you know, a primitive thing. And so based on that, you know, if you're trying to derive any like capital R, you know, rights or any super serious thing, uh, you got to understand that it's not only like, oh, like people aren't going to respect the code. It's like people won't even think of the code as being like legit, like it'll just be look like some weird proto, you know, uh, evolution thing. And I think the mint uh, verbiage, I think is just really fascinating, this concept, because the old verbiage kind of made more sense, right? Like kind of like, okay, we're, we're establishing, you know, the, the digital record, whatever, but that mint, you know, makes it sound like you're making money. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think that that kind of just, you know, uh, uh, changes, um, you know, you can, you can sort of think like, well, why weren't people uh, thinking more like they do now back then? It's like, we weren't even calling it mint. People were just not thinking about this in this, in this way. So they don't like universalize. You weren't even calling it, you weren't even calling it NFT at that time either. It was, you know, rare digital art or blockchain art, et cetera. So, um, you know, the, the term NFT is a financial term. It comes from finance talk, uh, non-fungible. That's, that's from the financial field. So like th- those, there was a whole like nifty battle back in 2018 where uh, many of us weren't favorable about the word, period. Um, there was a patent uh, war going on over it. Um, Axiom, CryptoKitties, all that was involved. And, um, you know, it split a lot of camps up like on the Ethereum side and all types of stuff. People are trying to come up with verbiage for it. And I think the word NFT just doesn't make sense period because not everything is an nft um especially when we're talking about older tokens yeah, yeah think- that's really fascinating thank you for <clears throat> like coming up here and sharing i don't know i think it's knowledge that most of us uh, i don't want to speak too broadly but i think most of us don't have i think like most people in this space do not have this knowledge so it's it's kind of rare um, but I, I also appreciate it because it affirms this thing that I have been beating my drum about for the last couple of weeks and saying in every freaking space that I can, which is that the social consensus layer is the most important thing out of out of all the things. What's more important than the blockchain? What's more important than like what the what the tech says is true? Like Daobao was saying, no such thing as code is law. The law is whatever is mutually agreed upon truths. Whatever like most people believe to be true kind of becomes the truth. Um, and it's that's a, a fascinating like you know case for it. Looking back before we had all these these terms and ways of considering things, you know, <clears throat> like before we had the non fungible token as a premise, and you would want to buy digital art. You know, if you gave the artist money and they told you that it was your art now, you know, there, there was no certificate for that or, or nothing that was like veritable um, beyond, you know, the agreement between the artist and the collector. And I, I think that that is very fascinating. And pe- people in this space kind of forget that there are ways that the world can operate without the need for blockchain consensus of, you know, a, a history of, of quote unquote facts. Um, but we've had uh, Yoke and Michael uh, holding their hands super patiently. Um, I don't know which one of you is first, but I, I want to get to you guys as well. Michael is first. 
if he's ready, I could go too. Yeah, but, uh, go I don't for know, it. brother, if he's had his hand up because I've had trouble hearing him. I still see him as a speaker. But uh, I'll just go ahead. I think I resonate with what uh, Skrilla you've been saying. Like collectors are definitely at the end of the day what's going to matter. You touched on some like very critical parts of it. It's like it was a transfer uh, to the other wallets, so they bypass like any royalty taking mechanisms, um, which aren't even part of like 721 contracts or 1155s, which is the majority of like what people think of NFTs. Um, I also was the person asking about, like, I made the bad inference of saying, oh, is this the fake one? Because I was, like, trying to get context. My bad. I didn't mean to, like, freak anybody out that that wasn't said other than here. And I apologize for, because I knew I didn't have the right context, but I didn't realize uh, what I was saying may have been more uh, controversial than I realized. So I really just was looking for my context. So apologies there. Um, and then the one thing I think was missing with the, like Sotheby's didn't do anything on chain. They didn't like take the money on chain. Of course, they're not going to enforce anything if they're just bypassing probably with the same transfer function. Um, so I think that's like a critical point that I think we should be critical for Sotheby's metaverse, quote unquote. If you went to their website, it was like, I think very nice tech. Um, it was like very like fast, you know, it's very reactive. Like, I think they have like, you know, a great platform. They've been building shit for like years, but they, they're coming in and like saying, okay, we're just going to bypass everything like we've done in the past, even though we have a label metaverse and we're going to utilize these community members that know like artists that we can sell the works of to these people of our audience. So it's a double-edged sword, like they're bringing in people potentially. It's uh, complete bull. It's complete bullshit too, because Sotheby's. This would like I was talking to the the leads, the owners, etc. of Super Rare, and everybody agrees that this would have sold for two to three times more on Super Rare than Sotheby's. So, and that's the case with all these auction houses. The auction houses, you know, I don't understand why people take this stuff to auction houses i i really don't um i guess i i assume the collector who you know max stealth is you know he's he's not very from what i understand talking to other artists he's that he isn't very communicative with any artist really um so i don't know what his intentions are or what intentions are for these people to take this stuff over there unless they work for them or they want to influence them somehow i just don't understand it because you're you're losing money you're breaking the con you're bake breaking the providence and the contract um that was made on super rare or whatever platform so it, it all is kind of confusing to me yeah it seems bizarre to me right because like you know of all the problems with nfts this seems to be one good thing where like if you have a super expensive like physical painting you probably need some kind of special protocol an auction house or whatever you can't sell picasso you know or whatever meme painting clamped you can't sell like a Picasso on your website, right? But you can sell the NFT and you can do it in a way that for better or for worse, like basically, uh, and there are problems too, basically it's going to work. And so why go through all of the hassle of pretending it's some physical thing? You know, you can sell it on the internet. So yeah, I think that's a very, very fascinating thing. I 
I'm just basically literally just saying, uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to know the answer to that. I, I swear to the artist, um, thank you X, who's a, a traditional artist who's kind of been moving in web three for, I think like a year or so now. Um, and I just like cold DM'd him because he was auctioning a work via the auction house Bonhams, which is like a New York based auction house kind of it's kind of like third tier Sotheby's Christie's like just like a little bit worse than those are and um he said that he didn't like using these auction houses and he didn't like using nifty gateway which I also kind of called him for using and and was kind of questioning why he would want to use that and um interestingly he got a little upset with my question I, I guess that's fair I was like cold DMing him to be like hey you should use your custom contract Um, But I thought I was being helpful. Um, His answer basically was that these auction houses and, you know, platforms like Nifty Gateway, which are a little closer to traditional art than uh, what we think of like Super Air Foundation or something. He liked using them because they are very helpful to you, not in terms of selling the work, but in your life as an artist. You know, if you have an in with Sotheby's, then you have a contact there. You have a personal phone number of someone who works at Sotheby's. And if you need a phone number, if you need any of these things, now you, you, you kind of just are buying yourself connections. You're going to sell for less, but you gain a lot of clout. You gain a lot of connections. You gain this on-ramp into being taken, quote-unquote, seriously as an artist, unquote, right? Um, so th- that's... And I, and I spoke to my friend, too, who works at the, the Brooklyn Museum, and at the, uh, the sculpture gallery in New York City. And uh, kind of, I was talking, picking his brain about this issue as well. But that seems to be kind of the common consensus of like why trad artists do that and why trad artists who are moving into Web3 continue to move in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, uh, you know, hearing you say it, it's uh, quite obvious really that. Uh, you get you get some of the side the side benefits, but it seems like yeah, you just it should just be way less. But um, but yeah, very very uh, very interesting very interesting stuff. Critical, you're back, you're ready. Let her, let let us have it, please. No, oh, hey, and I'm literally walking out the door. <laughs> but uh, but I was still gonna listen. Um, I'm grabbing something. Uh, yeah, but you know, going back to the this thing about um, like how the image looks on different servers and, you know, is it such a big deal to be on chain or, or off chain? Um, I think um, like, I don't know if you're familiar with how artists, I have a friend who was really concerned about how art looks on Instagram and online. And he was saying that people were um, deliberately, you know, painting away for it to look a specific style or to look good online because they knew it would change, if that makes any sense. And thinking we're talking about uh, Middlemarch, about how we, you know, is it such a big deal? And I, Dovetail was saying that, um, you know, he wishes he had done it another way and he wishes he had done something like... Uh, you know, you need to look, view it in a different filter. If you go to a gallery or if you're buying art from somebody like digital art, oftentimes it says this, you know, ultimate viewing. 
and even with films and stuff, you know, ultimate viewing is viewed on such and such format. And, and when, if you're going to display it in a gallery and if you're going to be serious, then that's the sort of thing you would say, right? So, I, I, I mean, if you, if you want to just sell 10,000 new 10K PFP or do things like that, then you probably shouldn't care about that sort of stuff. But if you want, you know, if you're doing it a little bit more seriously, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you yeah. know, being really specific about that and saying that. And galleries, you know, they, they do say that. And my, my friend had this whole, like his whole PhD thesis. And he's, I actually helped him with it. He's one of my best friends. He's like family. Um, and his whole, his PhD was called Survival Aesthetics. And it was about how to survive in this digital era. And he was telling me that there are artists that are on Instagram because, you know, everybody went to Instagram and, and he, he was from Tumblr as well. And he was saying how, you know, he really thinks about, because he's a painter and he does all different mediums. Um, but he was saying that people really choose color and choose different things um, determining how they're going to look, you know, on Instagram. You know, it's such a big deal uh, how their things will present online that they would be adapting that way. So then considering that, I think about what Middlemarch was saying, how, you know, you sh maybe we should be more flexible and, and instead of complaining that, um, you know, the, the thing doesn't fit in the hex or it doesn't look great online, um, it's up to the artist to, to really work with that. But that's, that's what I wanted to mention, um, you know, from, from the beginning of this conversation, that's all. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, in my Moon Lake series, I did, because uh, that, that's something that's very strange and like dynamic it's like a kind of a moving and and kind of it's just a it's a weird thing right it can't be displayed properly um uh, but in the in the token description for moon lake i did put very specific gallery um instructions for how it should be you know if, if you want to display this in a physical space here's how it needs to work and here's how it needs to look um and i think that you know if you know, if it ever reached the point where people decided that they were going to take uh, the 10Ks that I and Middlemarch have created together, um, Cyberfunks and Yunks, um, seriously as like works of art, uh, then I, I would also, you know, have very specific instructions for like how to display this SVG um, in, a, in a physical setting or like if you want to display it on a screen or if you want to display it uh, as like a metal print or, uh, or what have you. It's it's uh, super interesting to consider for sure, but I think if you are taking yourself seriously as as a digital artist, you really should be thinking about these kinds of things and, and how you want it to be viewed, and what is the optimal artist intent uh, viewing. That's uh, super important. And you know, I think for for this new project that I'm working on with Piv, I'm I'm trying to like explore the idea that the mechanism for doing this should be the HTML file that you're allowed to do an open C and just the way to think about it. In other words, you know, you should be able to ask a person uh, or a gallery or anyone to be able to show something a web, a web browser can show. And if you're talking about digital art and that should be the behavior that, that appears, whatever loads in that, in that page. And then there should be another way to do something for, you know, uh, uh, the book that comes with the gallery, you know, thing. And that should be another form of, of uh, you know, of art on the NFT. But um, I think the, the primary thing, you know, should be, and you can, you can present it in any way you want using this thing. That is, that is it. And then, you know, say, okay, you want to put it in, in, um, on cyber, you got to render this, uh, uh, this page, but that, um, yeah. and another thing, uh, middle much and, and Dove and everybody that I think, um, it's, it's really funny because this, I don't know if it was the title, but it really attracted the cheer crowd like chunky here and, and someone else came in, which was pretty interesting. Um, so, 
I, I was thinking about that too, like while um, Chunk was talking and, and, I, and I was thinking, like, I remember Dove saying how he's, you know, he's going to stick to Ethereum because he had some people telling him that he should have done this on uh, Tezos or something like that. You know, all these different platforms where you could get a different crowd, right? And then maybe that makes a difference for, for sales. But I was just thinking during listening to Chunk speak um, and the other person who came up, Foods, I think it was, that in terms of art and then when you get to the gallery level, like if you're going to do it this way, I, no one's going to really care about the platform or the that thing in that depth that maybe some of us nerds here get really into. Like it, it's like okay, this is a digital asset. Um, you know, whatever best way you can, wh- whatever best way you can use that tech. Like so, Chunk was saying, like within that tech, you can do all these different things. If you're playing with the medium in any particular way, that's kind of what's important. And I think that you, the way you where you mint it or the way you create it just purely comes down to how you want to sell it and that idea of consensus that Dove was talking about. So like if you actually want to get max sales or kind of eyeballs, then maybe Ethereum is the way for the moment, you know, or if you, if you in a certain crowd um, like Skrilla with the Bitcoin people and you want that remain that kind of sort of clout or culture, then you just do it on Bitcoin because, you know, that's your scene, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and that has certain, you know, respect or credit with it. But if you're going to do like a, say, like a digital art show and everyone rocks up to like the, oh, this is an NFT work, when it comes down to it, you know, the, you, I don't think it matters so much just to be saying, oh, it's a, it's a cheer NFT or it's an Ethereum NFT or something like that at, at the moment anyway. Like that's just how I think it's viewed. And, it, and, and still you know, these people are not paying that much attention at all to NFT. So, um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, yeah, how you want to sell it might come to determine, you know, what platform you, you, you put it on. Yeah, definitely. No, for sure. Um, let's hear from, uh, some, some, or yeah. Dove, sorry. No, I was, I, I think we were going to say the same thing. Uh, we have Nunks here, Chunk, Rhyming. Let's do it. Yoke as well. Um, go for it. Hey, uh, hey guys. Hey, yo, what's going on, man? How's it going? Bro? Not much. Taking... Good, good yeah. night. Great night. Yeah. Hey, yeah, uh, this is, this is, uh, specifically kind of for, uh, Trilla. Um, I minted also in 2018, 2019 on the Bitcoin blockchain. And back then we did it for providence of actual artwork, right? We were doing, they, they basically gave us like, uh, QR code that we would print out and it really wasn't like I never heard of NFT right I was a digital artist and a painter and this place like uh, Shepherd Ferry's a friend of mine so he minted and then my wife said oh your buddy minted with these or they didn't say minted but they said it was for providence right so she goes oh well, your buddy just did this you should you should do some of your pieces, right? You know, cause this is like the new thing and you're doing art. And we were like, Oh, okay. Cause you know, so we did it. We did, we did our pieces. We got our certificates and we were like, okay, what else, what else is going to happen? So we go on open sea and like, Oh, they have these little thing called crypto punks. Oh, well, how much are they? Seven bucks, seven fifty. And I'm like, Oh, well let's put some art up. I'm like, how much can you sell it for? Oh, they're trading for 75 cents for a JPEG. And I'm like, dude, I can't pay my bills. So I said to my wife, whatever, man. 
then all of a sudden, like, Mark Cuban comes on last year. I don't know if you guys remember he, him coming on and saying, oh, this is the new wave and everybody's got to jump on crypto and all this. Totally blew up. Everything got out of perspective for the original people that did it. So Shrill was like, what the hell, right? So you start going, I was just like, this was like digital art, man. And you guys are like new names and all this kind of stuff. It was really frustrating back then because we didn't, we were doing this to not, because I was doing selling art, right? In the real gallery world. And I thought, oh, well, this would be a cool thing to add tech to it. But we weren't looking at doing this to go back to Christie's and to go back to a gallery and try to like have them accept us because I took digital art in those places and they looked at me like, like, Oh dude, you're like, get back to your Amiga pro bro back in the day. And you're like, I've been pixels my whole life. And I like, I've always tried to bridge the real art world with digital art. Cause I love the, the two, right? I mix it in. I do digital art on my computer and then I screen print it onto canvases like Warhol did because I worked with the Warhol Foundation back in the day and there was so much politics with museums and computers. We wanted something different. And I don't know if a lot of people know, like when me and Polly were coming up with Funkism, it was truly about dudes like everybody in this room, like Middlemarch and Dovetail and yoke and piv you would do your art we could sell it to each other collect it sell it to people that dug our stuff get money pay my bills for literally the last year i've been selling crypto it goes on a credit card i go to the grocery store but in 2018 and 2019 you you would go into a place and you'd be like oh do you guys accept ethereum and they looked at, they like give you that, like, you know, that face, right? I mean, anyway, man, I feel you, Skrilla. Like, it's, you talk about a quantum leap in the last year. Like, it's just mind blowing. I just like look at some of the stuff, like people like trying to get back in the galleries. I mean, I'm in Web3 in New York. I don't know if you guys heard of that place, but it literally, like, I'm in galleries in New York already. Then I try to do digital art and sell it on Bitcoin blockchain back in the day. Nobody wants the shit. And then now people are putting it back on a screen, taking it back to New York. It's like, for me, it's been funny as shit. But I really appreciate you guys putting this topic up. It, uh, I feel you, Skrilla, man, with this whole like rewards program for you know digital art, all this bullshit they've been like selling all these kids for the last year. But much love to everybody dealing with this stuff. I know, as I always say in rooms, there's brilliant minds in these in, in these rooms, and you guys will figure it out for the betterment of artists and for people that want to be sovereign and pay their bills and not have nobody coming in being a parasite on their life. So God bless everybody, man. You guys keep it real. And thanks for doing this and keep being creative. And, uh, yeah. And if you like funkism, you want to freaking like support artists for artists, keep that shit up, man. I know I do it all the time. I don't really care what color background you got on your PFP. I still love you. I still love pixels. So thanks, man. I appreciate y'all love. Okay.
I appreciate you, Knox. Thanks for well, sharing. You bet, bros. Thanks a lot, man. And Skrilla, yeah. good luck with all that that uh, royalties crap. But we, uh, we I felt you when you were saying it. DM at some point. I'm like moving to New York City to to do more art stuff uh, this month. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what you were talking about, Web3 or whatever. We should link up or something. Yeah, uh, Web3. I'm actually in uh, Malibu Canyon. I'm out here in the, I'm in, I'm in the left coast but um i have i've spent so much time and i have gallery shows and stuff i used to do the art fair back in the day in at the javits center um and that's how i ended up you know working with the warhol foundation back in the day with his brothers because his nephew was there selling uh selling his work and so i met andy's brother and we ended up becoming friends and all that kind of stuff and then of course, he died, and then they hit, like we worked with getting that museum going and stuff because the family didn't know too much about screen printing and stuff. But uh, like I said, man, I, I appreciate everybody. And Dove, yeah, anytime you want to want to talk, I I love all you guys' work. I've been a fan uh, in this space for so long, but I haven't been a fan of the the snake oil salesmen showing up and selling their shit to these kids. Uh, making making something up like they they just invented it uh but between yoke and all these people that are super smart you guys can figure it out that's why i love about you guys because this room is what web3 is it ain't it ain't on your tv set you know it ain't on cnn it's right here right here you guys are web3 because you can make it the way you want to like a few of us are and we ain't gonna be on we ain't gonna be on the, the, the big screen, man, but we'll be keep doing what we love. So all right, man. Definitely. Love yeah. to y'all, bro. Let's uh right. to, to chunk and then yoke and whale and we're at like two hours, fifteen minutes. So let's uh try and keep it brief. Sorry. Um but yeah, go ahead. I'll try and keep it brief. Um on chain royalties for um NFTs is actually one of the other features of the NFT one standard. I know I'm kind of like drinking the big fat old Kool-Aid when it comes to Chia. I've been uh, infatuated with it. And I think the only thing kind of keeping me back in Ethereum is probably you guys doing this stuff and um, some other ones, some other projects that are that are fun to play in. But uh, for Chia, royalties are actually built into the coin. So when you do sell it uh, or you take an offer, you actually have to pay royalties. It's not in uh, on the marketplace, which is how it is for Ethereum. Um, with that said, there are people creating contracts with royalties built in. So I'm not saying that, you know, bah, I hate Ethereum for it. It just wasn't something that was built into the start, which I think needs to get more light shed on it. And um, But you can transfer the coin proof. for free. If there's any way to transfer the coin for free, then you can always figure out a way to get around royalties. Am, am I mistaken? Of course. In that? Yes, 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 of course. So of yeah, course. it's the same. There's, it's know, nothing getting around. Danger. 100%, 100%. There's nothing, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. That's yeah. probably more the consensus, you know, the social consensus. But I think that the use case for royalties are when, when sold, not to your friend. Because, you know, that's the that's a trust model that you need to do that to transfer it. And then in the hope that you'll get money back or you've got money and then you have to be uh, trusted to send it back. If we're talking about a trustless environment or a trustless transaction, then royalties need to be paid. Um, 
obviously in a space where we're all friends and we're sending things to each other, it's, um, it doesn't happen, but you know, um, yeah, I guess the, the use case is in a trustless transaction that you do pay royalties and that's not up to a third party. Um, and then the last one was um, actually a point that Critical made about um, having your art being able to be displayed in a certain way. I drew a parallel to people mastering music and people saying, well, you know, you have to, you have to change. And I don't know much about music production, but I've just heard people say this. They're like, you know, that this song's been mastered or it's been mixed so you can hear it in your car so you can hear it in the radio and you know you start looking at things like color profiles and how do you actually have like what color kelvin light do you have to have on a screen so you then you can actually understand and and know that the colors are true representations you know you start talking about color management and then curation and then when you display art what color kelvin light do you have to have for just say just you know painting on the wall uh and what kind of environment do you need to be in? What color wall behind it does it need to be for you to, to take the, the artist's true vision and be able to see it? And I agree that on on OpenSea, with its small little box, with its white background, maybe not dark mode, maybe dark mode, um, it, it doesn't it doesn't do it. So um, I think there's a way to go. I think that things like on Cyber, I think that you know trying to get places that actually show you show you the art the way that the art was intended. Maybe it wasn't at all, but if it is, then these people are missing out. Um, but it is it is happening in other industries. I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm just trying to point out another example. For sure. Yeah, those are those are good points. I'll have to look more into the, the Chia stuff because I am very anti anything that's not uh, Ethereum. And I'm very anti-Ethereum as well. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's cool. a fair call. I like your healthy yeah. skepticism. And yeah. uh, I'm here to just push it through into your brains. For sure. Because no. I like what you guys are no. doing and I'm always up here. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you. The osmosis is good. What's up, Yoke? Well, I'll right ahead, go ahead and say, I'll echo Chunk and saying, yeah, like, uh, thank you for throwing these spaces and like critical talk around this stuff. wanted to thank Nunks for <clears throat> the kind words and wanted to echo it back to Am you. Am I rugging? Is he speaking? Yeah, you're you're probably he's, yeah. He's speaking. Put your oh, captions on critical. Or I just like go to listening and come back up. That also helps. But uh, somebody could relay that. Um, but real quickly, I would like to add to that. Yeah, the function of on-chain enforcement of royalties, the Sotheby's metaverse, like very much made in you know social consensus, which uh, Chunks was saying. But um, to not use it, but I think this is a solved thing if we look at the chain. And there is license uh, as well on the Chia standard. So that you could say, like, the artist has this, like, implicit, like, if you don't sell it through an offer file, we're going to reissue it or have the right to reissue it. And then that's, like, a content hash. And then there's metadata that's content hash. So maybe they could, like... I don't know, but um, so then I think there's a bigger issue to talk to when we talk about identifying people. So like a DID standard that I think will be cross-platform sort of solves for this provenance issue. And then there's, um, I guess like the only other thing I wanted to echo from Chunk was like saying is um, 
what I was thinking about with WebAssembly, like being able to ship something that's like a native execution of showing the art exactly how it should be. And it's like a bind, you know, <clears throat> if you ship a static, I don't know if anybody's nerdy enough here to like ship static binaries, but they basically are just like these things that will execute on the machine's architecture under an o, like an OS, like probably forever. Um, because they basically ship with everything they need to run and they just like run machine code. But um, I think the WebAssembly like idea is sort of like, I've seen crazy stuff like um, AutoCAD move their entire software over into the web browser just using WebAssembly. And I mean, they wrote in C++, I believe. But I think there is like interesting things that you could think of when I don't know if we settled in the future on this like distributed file system that's like probably, you know, you know, it's sort of you can be augmented and you can like expatriate it, but it also is in this file format that sort of constitutes and what it is to be this piece that we like look at as art. But um, yeah, just, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks. Love it. I'm not sure. I think it probably went over my head. Maybe Middle March knows what you're talking about, but I'm too smooth brand. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, always the uh, how much can you embed everything? I think it's a good question. I think in the end, there's something you can't embed, probably like the, you know, architecture, like you can't embed whether it's an ARM Mac or an Intel Mac. But yeah, I think I think really, you know, not trying to get it perfect, but like asking those kinds of questions, I think is pretty pretty important. And certainly, you know, the on-chain kind of exercise gets you there because you can't, you know, link to a JavaScript file and that kind of thing. So at least on that, you know, sort of the high level side of things philosophically. So yeah, I think that's a, it's a good, it's a good point. Let's get to whale real quick and then we can have our, our like closing thoughts. Oh, should I, should I stay on this topic? Because I definitely wanted to talk about something else. <laughs> I'm fine to stay on the topic, though. I mean, no, dude, say say whatever you want to say. This is your your time. Wow, wow. Okay, so um, I'm ultra bearish on this ETH proof of work experiment. Um, they're massively underprepared. They put out the code change today, um, and they're supposed to turn on the chain or whatever <laughs> today. Um, gas fees don't go to miners, they go to a murky wallet, 0x01c, um, tagged as miner DAO address, so they made up a DAO that receives all the gas fees indefinitely, like, like, I don't know, this, and it's unverified on their, uh, blockchain explorer of choice, so, um, and so, I mean, I kinda, I kinda came to, like, mainly, like, let middle March know and be like, like, yeah, I mean, you can look at um, if you go to the Ethereum implementation and then you go to the fork for proof of work, like the literal GitHub fork, uh, you could see they did like seven code changes at once. And it just, and like I commented on it. I was like, so gas fees are going to this wallet? Like what? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'm. So how do I dump my pal wheat? This sounds like a prime dumping opportunity. Oh yeah, you could probably dump it. Yeah, there's some exchanges that'll take it. How do we get on there? Is and there's there's an ether scan and everything. There's there's like a block explorer. Well, I mean, as long as the chain like survives for a little longer, I mean, yeah, you could you could dump. I heard you're vulnerable to replay attacks if you do that, though. Yeah. So so this is the other thing that they didn't prepare for. Um. So they they haven't been replay attacked yet, but like 
they, this definitely was a risk for a second. Um, they like they picked a chain ID that's already taken. Um, so at first they weren't going to change chain ID. Then they were like, okay, well we'll we'll pick a chain ID. It's going to be ten thousand and one. And then it was pointed out by companies and by people on GitHub, just like, oh, by the way, this is taken. Like you, you know, like if you do this, like MetaMask is going to get confused. Like, um, you know, I mean, you can't ha you can't use the same chain ID. It's going to be confusing for nodes. Um, and that's what happened. Uh, they they went ahead and they. It's funny because I went into a Twitter space to challenge them and say, you need to do, do a different chain ID. And they said, okay, we'll do 13,001. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. They picked a new one. Good. <laughs> and then I look at their Twitter and they said, we're going with 10,001. And then like all the comments are like, you've been warned multiple times that this chain ID is used. Now people are commenting that there are issues uh, when connecting their MetaMask Um it's pretty sick. It's it makes me very bullish on Ethereum itself because it just goes to show how difficult it is to an as assemble a competent team who is both working in good faith for the betterment of the entire chain and all of its users, and to also have that same team be incredibly freaking elite at what they are doing and perform it, you know, without a hitch, and basically get this off and and you know, successfully merge with, with, you know, very, very, very few errors. And I, I think that's, that's sick. And uh, yeah, I couldn't I love, agree I more. That so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, like, you, if you think about how early, how much in advance, like node operators knew that they needed to update their code. I mean, like they, they knew for years, first of all, like years in advance, they knew the difficulties going up, the difficulty bomb and that they need to move to proof of stake eventually. Um, and then they were given like months or weeks, like, like, here's the code change, please update your code. Um, and then there was the Bellatrix upgrade that was basically like kicking off nodes that haven't been upgraded yet. Um, and yeah, it was just massively prepared <laughs> while well, this experiment is like all happening in one day. And I find this fascinating and I think it's going to flop. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like a, it's like a sprint. It's like a game jam for blockchain it's very interesting yeah no I, I entered the space and then people were just like we're being innovative and fast and i'm like oh god this is not how i think software should be <laughs> just yeah. me it's just well, me of course i mean cool. no I, I like that we got some merge discourse into this uh into this space today i think we planned to talk about it a lot but then there's just so many interesting conversations that ended up happening over the last uh two and a half hours Especially hearing from the the dude who owned, you know, the second X copy, like very, yeah, like, very that cool, was cool. Yeah. space. Um, let's. We should probably wrap it up. Um, I need to go eat, and I'm sure everyone else here has as lives to get to. But I'd like to close out by saying thank you all for for coming and listening. And uh, if you're in New York City, please reach out. This is the last Capsule Twenty One Pod slash Space that I will be doing from uh, from my home state of Michigan. I will be moving. So that's that's very exciting. And uh, wow, I, think that's, I think that's all I got. Huge news. You just dropped that news. huge news. That's a doorknob comment. As a doorknob, you open the doorknob. You... That's amazing. Uh, I live in New York State. I uh, Maybe we can. I mean, we had the beat latte. Yeah, thank you to everyone. And thank you to our listeners on Spotify. If you're listening to this now and you are on Spotify, 
you sh- I will give you a thousand dollars and I will very much appreciate it. You are, you are sticking with it, but you are not alone, uh, or at least you won't be for long. But the real thing I want to say to you if you're on Spotify, come to the space. It's 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, whether it's daylight or standard time. Soon it'll be standard. Again, 5 p.m. Eastern time on Twitter. You can interact. You can say anything you want. We are yet to ban anyone or uh, even really cut anyone off. So uh, you can get that. Yeah, you can get that level. But uh, I really appreciate you all. And, um, you know, Piv, what do you got? No, you've said it all, I think. Here it's uh, 1.30, so here it's uh, time to go to bed. Wow. I love it. Couldn't have said it better. What a legend. Myself. (laughs) What a legend. Those exact words. Episode two, done. Thank you all. Peace. See you next Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern. React and goodbye.